Hey, this is Mitch Unfiltered, and this is episode 144. How the hell are you, Hotshot? Oh, you sound really serious all of a sudden here, like a real announcer. This is episode 144. This is episode 144. This is the first free show that we've done since our your extended stay or vacation and my vacation. My extended vacation? You had an extended vacation, and I had a vacation. Yes. You took two weeks off. I took one week off. But think about the people that hate me. I mean, they must have been loving Stretch. It. They got a little stretchy. Uh, imagine their luck when they turn on and they hear stretch. <laughs> they, they, they... Can we wrap this up quickly? I, I, I have to get home. I got some top-notch boxing to watch tonight as we record on Sunday. We got to wrap this up. Let's go. Chop, chop You here. bought it? I paid 50 bucks. I couldn't believe I hit the button for it. <laughs> now, I'm sure I could have found it online for free. Like, was it, is, is it a substantial enough fight that we should have waited to record episode 144 after it was over so that we can discuss the results like we do with Sunday Night Football? Oh. We used to wait till late at night on Sunday Night Football when the Seahawks were involved so that we could discuss the game. Should we have done that with the Mayweather-Paul fight? And I say Mayweather versus Paul because I never know which Mayweather and which Paul it <laughs> you just is. cover yourself by saying Paul. <laughs> it's well, kind of like Uncle Is. Look who's Look here. Look who's here, yes. Covers everyone. <laughs> well, as you told me on the last episode, yes. you could not care any less. So. Thank you. Thank you for doing it right. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm, I'm a stickler huge, for that stuff, too. Huge yeah. pet peeve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But the, it starts at, well. I don't like either guy. I don't know one of them, but I'm tired of his name being. Well, good. You should want to see him get his face punched in, then. No, I don't like either one of them. Oh, I see. Yeah, you don't like Mayweather. No, I never liked I got to tell you, Logan Money Paul. Money Mayweather. How much is he getting for this fight? I paid 50 bucks. Finally, the guy's making a couple bucks in his life. Do you life. get other fights? Is like uh, oh, you know, Gary Coleman from Different Strokes fighting? or Rest in peace. He's not with us anymore. Oh, that's right. Um, well, Do we get like somebody from Archie Bunker's place? Or <laughs> Yes, exactly right. Do we get any undercard? You'll be happy to know that yeah. Ocho Cinco is on the undercard. Get out of here. Yes. He's fighting? He's the first fight. Get out of here. I, I, was looking, I was like, what's his record? Zero and zero. It's his first fight I ever. thought you were going to say it's Ocho and Cinco. Oh, I should have, yes. <laughs> I, I didn't Who's know he that. fighting? Somebody that, like a defensive back? No, he's fighting. Uh, that would be good. Yeah. So I think it's a, it's an ex-MMA guy. I don't know. I didn't recognize Brian Perkins or something. I don't, I don't know how it started. But Chad Ocho Cinco's fighting. I'm like, really? And then there's two other, like I guess, normal fights. Like What's crazy about all of this is <laughs> no one cares about real boxing. Well, like... Like boxing amongst two people that are active and currently right. like boxing for a living. But we care about old washed up guys and people from other walks of life. Other you, We care about you two people getting yeah. into the ring, but we don't care about whatever's happening in the real world of boxing. Which says a lot about the sport. Or says a lot about us. Yeah, I mean, what you know where they're having it at the Hard Rock in, in uh, Miami. You know, that's the st- you mean the football stadium? Yeah, oh. they're not having it at like a casino. No offense to casino, but that's a big venue. They're probably gonna have I don't know thirty thousand people. It's crazy. I paid fifty bucks. He's fighting a guy named Brian Maxwell. I'm not too familiar know. with Brian Maxwell. I know Byron Maxwell. Oh, now that would be something. <laughs> it was Byron Maxwell. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, I paid for it for some reason. So we gotta we gotta wrap this up. I got boxing. What time does it start at night on Sunday? That the night we're recording. Well, on look how excited I am. I'm, I'm yeah. afraid that when people hear this on Monday or Tuesday, yeah. they're gonna be laughing at me because Mayweather may have yeah. got his ass kicked. They're gonna be laughing at you no matter <laughs> what. I want people to tell me on Twitter if anyone else rented it. I'm really curious to see if I'm the only one. I can't be because people are into this. Yeah, at the end of the fight. The promoter's going to go to the two fighters into their locker room, and they're going to say, here's 25 bucks for you, and here's 25 <laughs> bucks for you. We had one 
We had one person buy the fight. He was in Sammamish, Washington. Yeah, well, I mean, still call me, but still thank call you. Me. Yes. I can tell you that my daughter and my wife want to watch. Like, they're in. Really? Yeah. This is what it's come to. This is what it takes for them to watch. They've never watched a boxing match in their life. And they you didn't both- answer. What time of night is it? it the like whole thing why, and why Sunday night? Isn't it normally? Yeah. Isn't boxing normally a Saturday night for activity? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No clue. But Ocho Cinco, maybe he doesn't box on, on Saturday. That's night. right. Yes, yes. No, but it starts at 4. The whole thing kicks off at 4 o'clock p.m. Oh, we got to get going. Well, that's what I'm saying. But, you know, he, now I know why you wanted to start so early. Logan's not. Well, that's part of it. Well, yeah. That, yeah. Well, the main event won't happen until like 637 probably. So I'll be just fine. By the way, I, I do I like. I can't even believe that you got me to talk about this at the beginning of episode 144. I, I don't care. I literally don't care. I, I understand. But Floyd, uh, Floyd says he expects to make between 50 and 100 million dollars oh. for the eight round fight. He believes he can he can pull similar figures if he fights his brother, Jake, later on in the year, which he's planning on doing. Jesus. This is what boxing's come to. It is. It's crazy. People want to see this, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm going to give it a, a, a little look-see. Well, let's let's get through episode oh, yeah. 144 <laughs> so we can get you home. By the way, Logan Paul looked big. He looked shredded. He's a YouTube guy. I, I could beat him up. I'm telling you. I don't think he's going to win, but he looked musk. I mean, I know he's mus- He looked like he's really been working hard. He looked shredded at the weigh-in. If, if what's his name? Which Paul is Logan he? Paul. And what's his brother's name? Jake Paul. If either one of them walked into this room, Mitch Unfiltered's room, <laughs> yeah. right now, I would have no idea. I love you like for if, that. Like, you if shouldn't. you ask me, what do I think they look like? I, I have, I don't have even an image or a visual in my head of what a Paul boy looks like. And I'm, I'm happy about that. I, this is, I don't want them to have any more success and fame because they annoy the crap I, I out of me. I truly don't know what they look like. I, that's great. You shouldn't. But they are annoying, and I want to see Floyd. By the way, Logan Paul said— Floyd's never knocked anybody out yeah, in his life. I know. Well, he's fighting a YouTuber, like you said. He might. He, he, this is ridiculous. Logan said, I'm going to make the old man this quit. I'm going to make him beg for mercy. I can't wait to watch this. I'm Episode 144, <laughs> everywhere where podcasts are found. We ask that you subscribe, and if you listen on an Apple device, please rate and review us. It really helps. It also really helps if— those of you that have not listened to every episode of Mitch Unfiltered would go back and just click play. As soon as you get click play, we get credit for your click. Yep. And it really helps the algorithms and everything else. So, yeah, rate and review us and click play on as many episodes as you're willing to do if you like Mitch Unfiltered. Neil from Sammamish is the last person to rate us on Apple Podcasts' website. Last one to rate us. Okay. Yes. Five stars on May 27th, 2021. Neil from Sammamish writes, five stars, great to hear you again. Oh. I didn't know of Unfiltered. But I liked your KKR show quite a bit. What is that? Some kind of racist group that you were part of? I mean, what the hell? Is the KKR? Yeah, well, the K and the J are next to each other. Okay, yeah, I figured that out. Uh, (laughs) Yes. There are so many podcasts now that it occurred to me that you might be out there in podcast universe. I'm very pleased to have rediscovered you. So is my wife. I think the format seats you well. I hope you're happy and gratified with your work. It's tremendous to have you back and available on demand. I'm also now a patron. Whoa. Neil from Sammamish. Oh, Neil sounds delightful. He and, and his wife. And, and for writing that, Neil, if you're listening to me right now, <laughs> for writing that and submitting us a five-star, I'm going to buy you the next Ron Paul Floyd Mayweather rematch. <laughs> Ron, no, I'd like to see that. Rand Paul, Ron Paul. We'll, Ron see Paul, whatever. We'll, we'll get all the Pauls in there. <laughs> Paul Stanley. By the way, it's five bucks a month if you'd like to become a patron, and then you get the extra shows. We did a show 
This may be the first show that people are hearing since we were on vacation, but we actually did another show this past Wednesday night, Thursday morning. We released it on Thursday morning. We sure it was did. A, it was a hell of a show. Oh, it was fantastic. We talked about extortion at Louisville. We talked yeah. about Julio Jones becoming a Seahawk, which he's apparently not going to be a Seahawk. He's going to be a Titan. Yep. We talked about um, the MGM... Uh, the, the Amazon purchase of the MGM movie library and yeah. television show library for your streaming services. Are you going to become one of these people that doesn't do cable anymore, that just does streaming services? You like you buy two or three of them and that's it? I'd love to be. Is that what you're going to become? I would love to. I don't know how to do it, though. I have a landline phone, so I'm not going to become that. <laughs> that's exactly right. I'm going to always have. I'm going to be the last guy with cable on the face of the earth. I, I like cable because I'm, yeah. I'm an 80s kid. I love having all. I just I love cable. I love the on demand. Man, I just, I love having cable, Yeah, but it's so expensive. I want to find a way to cut, because I just feel like I'm, I just want to emancipate myself from, from that. I've, I've been there forever with them and I, I don't know a way out. I I don't know, because I like live sports, so I don't know, I'm sure there's a way to do it, a way to cut the cord. I just, I don't, I don't know what I need to get in order to watch all my live sports and all that. So you're a cable and streaming service guy? (sighs) Hulu, uh, Amazon, Netflix. You pay for them all. Yeah. Disney Plus? I don't on that one. Paramount Plus? No. So what do you pay for Netflix? I, I get them all too. I don't know what I pay, but yeah. I get them all too. I don't know either. What do we, what do we pay? Are we paying like nine, ten dollars a month Probably. for all these services? Yeah, twelve bucks a month, something like that. Cable's yeah. not enough. That's the thing. It should HBO be HBO <laughs> Max. Where is that? Is that on oh, one of them? Well, I pay. Well, that comes with my Xfinity subscription, okay. but I love HBO. But Xfinity, right. I feel like I'm doing an ad for them here, but yeah. they did something great by one eight hundred Xfinity. Now they put the Netflix and the Amazon Prime Video on their cable box. So before I'd have to go through the Xbox to you know pull yeah. the app up. Now it's just all in one. They make it so easy for you. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Somebody hit me up and tell me a good way to cut the cord and the cord. still watch local live sports. I don't know how to do it. If my Uncle Snap were still alive, he could teach you not only to cut the cord, but still get it. That's right. Not yes. pay and gaff it. Well, I needed him you to come over it. for the uh, the Mayweather fight because I paid 50 bucks for that damn thing. I can't even believe it. I know. I know. I want to hear from you tonight. <laughs> I want to hear. I want to know the results from you. I want you to break the news. I won't look at anything. I won't watch anything. I want you to text me when the results are in. I'm truly okay? going to be devastated if Mayweather loses. I'm going to be devastated. It's going to hurt. It's really going to hurt if that kid, kid, he's like 25, but if he goes on and beats Mayweather, the greatest boxer of all time's ass, okay, it's going to bother me. Okay. Yeah, he is. Well, I mean, on paper, he's never lost. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. Uh, okay. I he's mean, arguably the greatest. That means nothing. It means nothing to go 45-0 and 0 or whatever, 44-0? Records mean okay. nothing, all right? There's no way. nothing. There's no way that Floyd Mayweather is the greatest fighter of all time. No way. Well, just because you don't like him doesn't mean he's not. I, I don't care whether I like him or don't like him. <laughs> yeah. There's no way right, well, he's the greatest fighter Ali of all time. Ali lost. I, I don't care. Okay, all right. I don't well, care. pound for pound, he might be the greatest we've pound ever seen. Pound for pound. Can't yeah. knock anybody out, gets on his bicycle and runs away and hides in the corner. And wins. And wins. I don't like him really that There's much either. There's not one but, you know. boxing expert in the world that's alive today that would say that Floyd Mayweather is the greatest boxer of all time. You sure about not, that? Not one. You couldn't find one. You could pay him $1,000 to come on the show and say it, yeah. and he still wouldn't say it. That's- <laughs> hey, Mitch, I found you last July after years of listening on KJR. Oh, great. And since then, I've been hooked. I walk my dogs a couple of hours every evening, and those hours are always spent listening to you and Scott. Or Stretch. I have now finally listened to every Monday and patron episode, and I find myself now going back and listening to every episode again. 
What's wrong with this guy? COVID-19 has been difficult, <laughs> but like- listening to you and Scott has been such a great distraction. And as much as I love, love my wife and two daughters, <laughs> it's been a great escape. Thanks, Mitch. And please tell Scott, I love his jokes at the end of every episode. Very nice. Longtime fan, Mike. Now, I thought there you, were, you go. You were good on KJR, but when you were on KKR, I mean, that was... <laughs> he didn't say that. It's the last You've never guy. been better than on KKR. All right. Hey, Mitch. I've been listening... Oh, I've been a listener of the morning show and podcast going back 20 plus years now mm. and actually listened to Hot Shot on the T-Man show before I found sports radio. Oh. Since 2008, I've lived up in Bellingham and Ferndale and before streaming, it took some real commitment to listen through 100 plus miles of KJR static. <laughs> Many a time my wife would get in my truck and ask, how do you listen to this shit? Fair question, I guess. In listening to the email segment of 142P, it occurred to me that I should drop you a quick note. Like with most things, it seems like the squeaky wheel here is getting most of the grease on Mitch Unfiltered. So I'm attempting to bring a little grease to all the other wheels. I, for one, whatever all that means, really enjoy the entire show. The sports stuff is great. The non-sports interviews are even better most of the time. My favorite part is the banter between yourself and Scott in the open and the other stuff segment. And while Josh in Tacoma doesn't appreciate Hot Shot's attempt at humor to close the shows, I rather enjoy them. They are corny, cringeworthy, and generally elicit the Lee Trevino-like head shake from me a la Happy Gilmore. Sounds like a success. That isn't to say the final stories couldn't be improved. <laughs> Here we go. That isn't to say. Here we go. So now we're getting to why he's really writing. Gotcha. See, this yeah, is the yeah. guy from New York. Setting us when up. When somebody calls from New York, don't listen. They're really calling about the third thing they mentioned. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. That isn't to say the final stories uh, couldn't be improved. I'm looking at my final one right now. The jokes are terribly laughable. <laughs> the delivery is pretty good. The real issue is, what do you think he's going to say? That the stories are a little too you're gonna, uh, you're inappropriate. Gonna, no, you're going to approve of what he says. Okay. He's going down a path that you're going to applaud. All right. The real issue is, Hotshot, that the quality of the stories has been severely limited since Florida Man was banned from the podcast. Ah. This seems to really be restricting Scott's options of boneheaded people <laughs> to report on. So I say bring back Florida Man and save Mitch Unfiltered. <laughs> That's what it's going to take. Finally, Appreciate we Appreciate both of your work and rooting for your continued success. Would love to hear a little off-season segment with Rick Neuheisel. Apparently, this guy's a little... I mean, listen to the last show. Uh, who's been on more than Rick Neuheisel? And an update on wheels. All the best, Tom. I don't disagree with him. And as a matter of fact, I want my Twitter followers who all reached out to me to tell me about a naked Florida woman who went crazy <laughs> in a bar... Uh, oh, I saw it. Yeah, people were texting me like, "Was that in Florida? Do you have to ask? Do you really have?" Are we talking about is. the naked girl that came off the bar and the guy and she, who, the cop was right there with a taser gun and she kept on coming towards him and he shot her. That one. The ta- oh my god! Florida. I watched that. Yeah, about twelve or fourteen times. Yeah. I was like, fifty-three. Is she fifty-three? That's what I saw. Yeah, fifty-three. Oh, I'm not. I was going to say us 53 rejoice. All of us 53ers rejoice. Yeah, right. But I'm not anymore. But yeah, so I want younger. everyone to know I do see your tweets, but I'm not allowed to do it. So I'm not bringing that story up on this episode is what I'm saying. I didn't realize that was a Florida woman. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. All right, episode 144 and our guests. We have three of them, Hot Shot Scott. We will start with our boys. At the time that I asked Joe Fan and Brady Henderson, the Seahawks beat guys, yeah. NBC Sports Northwest and ESPN, you know, we call us, we call the three of us the three amigos. No, we call it the three of us the Seahawks no table. Mm-hmm. When I asked them to be on, I was thinking we we're going to talk Julio Jones and whether it was still a good idea for the Seahawks. But now that Julio Jones is going to the Tennessee Titans, we'll ask the question how close? How close did the Seahawks come? How serious were they? These guys know the answers. Good. On episode one. I'm curious to see what they were prepared to give up. Do they know the answers? To I know the answers. You do? Okay. They know the answers. I don't know that they know the answers. And if we don't, we're just going to guess. I like it. We're going to pretend we know the answers. Sounds good. I think the big issue, and I think we're going to talk about this in, in segment number one, is the money. I okay. think that was the big issue. I think the Seahawks wanted the Falcons to eat a little of that $15.3 million. Okay. I don't mm. think it was the compensation that was the problem, the second and the fourth rounder. I think they just, you know, they just didn't have the salary cap space and didn't want to he didn't want him to count $15 million against their cap this year. They only have $7 million under the cap. They would have had to do all kinds of things, including renegotiate and redo Russell Wilson's yeah. contract, which they didn't want to do. But we'll talk to the, we'll talk to the no table about Julio Jones. And who, who is it that really the Seahawks should go after? Oh. There is somebody – we all wanted him to go after Julio Jones because we all liked the idea. Yeah. It was kind of a sexy idea. Sure. Julio Jones, Lockett, oh. Metcalf. The greatest eight games Russell ever Wilson. Seen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, he said he plays like seven or eight games a year. We all wanted that to happen kind of, sort of, but there's really somebody else out there okay. who may be available via trade that we, we would – we should really be focusing on if we're Seahawks fans. More of a position of need, you're suggesting. No question okay. about it. Nice. All right. Seahawks no table, guests number one. Number two, do you remember former Stanford star, Lakers championship team member Mark Madsen? Oh, yeah, of course. You do? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because I was a Husky fan, and so he was, I'd watch him play against College Husky All-American at Stanford, was a first-round draft choice of the Lakers. Yeah, yeah. I think he was involved in a funny dance at one point. He was involved in it. Okay. We, will, we will discuss. <laughs> That's what I remember most. He is about most known for a dance yeah. when Shaq was rapping yep. at a celebratory thing for winning a yeah, world yeah. championship. It's a hell of a he was actually, player. He was actually on two world championship teams, hmm. and we reached out to him when Kobe was inducted posthumously to the NBA Hall of Fame or the Basketball Hall of Fame yeah. to talk about what it was like to play with Kobe and what about when you met. And he just starts telling stories. Love it. If you like storytelling, Mark Matson's going to give you stories great. on this episode 144. Great Shaq stories, great Kobe stories. Nice. Okay. Yeah, you forget he was right there in the, at the right height in the middle of all of it. Yeah, right, right, in, the, in, the right middle, in the mix. Right in the middle of it. Love it. it. And now he's a, he's a head coach. He's a college basketball head coach in Utah. And then uh, interview segment number three, six-time Grand Slam tennis champion in doubles, a, a woman named Renee Stubbs, an Australian lady named Renee Stubbs, who's now big into broadcasting the major events. She works for ESPN and different inter- the tennis channel, different international places. You know the story. Naomi Osaka is yeah. the story. And it's not even a tennis story. It's a mental health story. It's a do press conferences matter anymore? Should we make all these all these athletes do the post post round or post game press con the media thing? Yeah. You know the story of Naomi. Everybody knows the story of Naomi Osaka. She's admitted to fighting through depression and she's got anxiety from those media conferences and she didn't want to do it at the French Open and they fined her 15000 and said, 
the fines are going to continue, and we may even we may even disqualify you, and yeah. and the U.S. Open in Wimbledon might disqualify you. You've got to do these things, and then she just threw her hands up and said that I'm going to withdraw. Yep, because I'm not feeling it, and I'm I need to I need to get my stuff together off the off the court. And she doesn't want to be a distraction either for the she whole said. tournament. Yeah, and so now. The world of sports, this is not a tennis story anymore. This is a world of sports story. Right. What are we going to do, first of all, about mental health and athletes? We've got to take care of our athletes, yeah. and they've got to take care of themselves. And then the other issue is, what are we doing about press conferences? Yep. None of these athletes like to do press conferences. Very few of them like to do press conferences. Yeah. Are we going to do away with press conferences? Are we going to make them voluntary? And if we make them voluntary, is anybody going to do them anymore? Right. Yeah, then you have the beat reporters. Is LeBron James going to say, I'm not coming in there? Yeah. Is Tiger Woods, after he wins a tournament, going to say, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to? Phil Mickelson, after the PGO, well, Phil Mickelson loves him. Um, <laughs> Any attention he likes? <laughs> no, but you, but you, then you said also that these beat reporters, they need comments. They got to write stories. So you got to think about. And they're in some ways promoting the game. Right. I mean, yeah, does, yeah. does the French Open tennis, is the French Open tennis Grand Slam as big internationally? As it would be if there were no, if there were half or a quarter the number of people around the country, media people coming there, flocking there, and writing stories about the event. Yeah. Is its popularity kind of hung on 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 those types of writers? Maybe you'd say no. Maybe you'd say no. The French Open, if if half or a quarter of the people that cover it don't come anymore and they don't write about it, and news there's less newspaper because of social media, whatever. It doesn't matter. The French Open will still be just as big. Then maybe they can do away with it. I don't know. But the French Open's not going to take that chance, right? Who's going to take that chance? Right, exactly. And if you say, okay, Naomi, we're sorry that you're, you're, you're fighting with depression and anxiety. You don't have to do it. Then do they have to say that to Serena Williams? When Serena Williams loses on Sunday, which she did, and she says, Naomi doesn't do it. Yep. I, I'm not coming in there after a loss. I don't want to answer you, you, these dopey questions after a loss. Yep. Then what do you do? Big questions. Marshawn Lynch was ahead of his time. He was ahead of his time. I think we know Marshawn Lynch's answer to this question. <laughs> yeah, I think we do. <laughs> anyway, those are the uh, those are the interview segments on episode 144. I look forward to it. I love it. Okay, a couple of words about our partners before we begin episode 144, like Evergreen Golf Call. Think about it. Tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers, all working together so that you get retirement planning, taxes, and investments all under one roof at Evergreen. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen in Bellevue is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza, uniquely Northwest with the best craft beer selection you're going to find anywhere. And by the way, have that beer and pizza delivered right to your door by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. They just opened in Bellingham over Memorial Day weekend. The Zeke's footprint now goes Tacoma all the way up to the Canadian border. Daniel's Broiler, you got to hear this. Continuing its resurgence, you've got Father's Day coming up. The best that the Northwest has to offer is Daniel's Broiler to celebrate. But how about this? Their popular old-fashioned cocktail mixer, which everyone loves, is now available on Amazon all over the country. And Lindsay and Daniels are offering a bottle to all Mitch Unfiltered listeners at 20% off on Amazon. Just enter the promo code MitchL20. 
Our deck area remodel continues. Picked out a new outdoor fireplace from Fireside Home Solutions. John's team was here. Helped us plan a fantastic new look in the backyard. FiresideHomeSolutions.com. And Jordan Flowers' team at the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage continues saving unfiltered listeners lots of money every month on your monthly mortgage. Clients are pulling cash out to do remodels and for bills. It's as simple as a seven-minute call with Jordan or a member of his team, 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage. We took a little time away, and now we begin. Episode 144 begins right now. Unfiltered. They kind of need other things. They don't really need a wide receiver, but this might be too good to pass up. This is kind of like when you have the fantasy team and you got a strong, you got a strong set of running backs, right? You got the best running backs in the league, yeah. and then your buddy says, "But, but, but I'm trading whoever it is." Derek Henry, you want him? And you're like, yes? <laughs> of course. Unfiltered. Do you kill his confidence if right. you send him down to Tacoma? Do you sit him down? Do you move him down in the lineup? What do you do? He's your prodigy. I mean, he's the guy that's going to be the next Ken Griffey Jr. of your of your organization. And he's just off to – and it's just so ma- – if this were any other place, I would have not believed that this would happen. But, of course, exactly this was going to happen in Seattle baseball lore. Mitch is unfiltered. Okay, episode 144, we'll do some stories here. It's segment number one. We'll have some interviews, including the Seahawks note table in our very next segment. And then, and then a wild and willy other stuff segment where Hotshot has been refueled by the listeners to do his thing in the other stuff segment. Well, at least one listener. One that we know of likes the jokes at the one end. One poured in. Yes, I remember. One poured in, yes. <laughs> An email poured in. We were speaking of HBO Max. We talked about it just briefly in yeah. the first segment. Yeah. Have you been watching Mayor of Easttown on HBO no, Max? I, I, I think I, I I know. it's This is like Ooh. this is like the other one that I asked you about that got really, really popular, and I had no idea. What's the one I yeah, asked you Bridgerton about? Yeah, or, yeah, Bridgerton. Yeah, Bridgerton. I didn't watch that one. Yeah. Mayor of Easttown, seven episodes and done. Is it M-A-Y-O-R? No, it's, it's M-A-R-E. Not. It's right? about a woman named Marion, but okay. everyone calls her M-A-R-E. Mayor. Hey, Mayor. I think that's what they called Mary Tyler Moore. Mayor, okay. On the show, yeah, yeah Mayor. She's a Philadelphia, played by Kate Winslet. Oh, I like Kate Winslet. Well, I'm watching this show and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot she's just this heavyweight movie star. Like, she's incredible in this series. It almost feels... Un, like we shouldn't be watching her in a TV series. So what's She's this? That good. Is, it, is this a period piece? Also, is this like going back? No, no, not at all. No, no. it's about a detective that lives in Philadelphia, or Pennsylvania. And it's on HBO Max. HBO Max, or which HBO. I think I get. Yeah, yeah. If you have HBO, you have HBO Max. Oh, really? Everybody who has HBO has HBO Max. But you don't watch yes. HBO Max on the cable system. You got to do it on your phone or something. I don't. I don't know how to do it. Well, I, don't know, I know that on Xfinity, HBO Max just pops up. If you just say HBO Max into okay. your thing, it pops up. Okay. Anyway, Mayor of Easttown, if anyone needs a new series, I'd be shocked if you didn't like it. I, I, it was so good. Yeah, but you've given me some recommendations before, and they've just fall fat, flat on their face. <laughs> flat on their face, though? A couple you, of You times. didn't like the McDonald's documentary. I remember I that. Did. No, I did. Oh, I you did? It. Yeah, I liked it. So what did I give you that fell flat on your face? A lot of them. A lot of them. <laughs> Come on, that's not true. A lot of them. Okay, well... You're a picky eater, and you kind of have this weird, you know, weird taste and things. So for everyone else listening, I'm not a picky eater. Mayor of Easttown's great for everybody else who needs a new series. Check it out. It's not mayor though. It's mayor, mayor of East. Yeah, mayor of East. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And it's about a detective. She's a small town detective who grew up in this little town. She was the star basketball player there, but she's never left. And then some murders happen. Some kids go missing. Yeah. And she's on the case. 
and but there's a lot of other side. It's it's really good. Like okay. it's kind of like who did it? They give okay. you a lot of red herrings. Okay. This guy looks creepy. This person's new to te- you know. It's it's really good. I I thought it was great. Maybe I'm alone. Is there I, I one season's amazing. worth on there? That's, or it. there? that's it. Seven episodes, one and done. I doubt and there'll and be a second. Oh, that's so it's just like a one and done deal. I think so. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't know how they oh. would have a second where things just happen. Did you ever watch again. the morning show with Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell? The morning show? The morning on Apple? show? I think it's called the on, on Apple. Oh, I, I think don't, it was called the morning show. I don't have Apple TV, so I haven't watched it, no. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. So there you go. That's my recommendation right. for everybody. Julio to the Titans. Julio Jones was traded to the Titans over the weekend for a second and fourth round draft choice. The Falcons are sending the Titans a sixth round draft choice. At the end of the day, there will be no Julio Jones in Seattle. Are you sad about that? I always do that thing that everyone does where as soon as I hear he's going to the Titans, I'm like, well, he's old and he can't stay healthy anyway. <laughs> Who the hell needs him? Hey, we don't need a receiver. That'd be stupid. What are we getting? Re- Meanwhile, That's three days fan. earlier, I was like, Julio, Julio. <laughs> Classic sports fan move, right? So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm kind of bummed, but, you know, he's old. Who needs him? <laughs> nah. Yeah, it would have been fun. It really would have been fun. But So, in the Seahawks, you remember when they acquired Jadeveon Clowney oh, do right I remember? before the season, how excited we were. It was the day of a Husky home game. I was standing waiting for a bus in the U District okay. going to the game. I'll never So forget. John Schneider pulled that off. It didn't really result to much. We, no. get, we always seem to get excited for a lot of things that don't ever pan out. But um, when they did that, the Houston Texans, you may or may not recall this. I, I don't know whether you will. The Houston Texans actually swallowed some of the remaining year of – Jadeveon Clowney's contract okay, to make that. that happen. That was one of the Seahawks' prerequisites. Yeah, we'll make this trade. We'll send you the compensation. But we don't want to pay his entire salary coming up because we can't fit it under the cap. Okay, That's kind of what I was referring to in the in the T segment. That's what I, I understand. I don't want to talk too much about this because you're going to get the listeners of, of Mitch Unfiltered. You're going to get all you want on Julio Jones in our next segment with the Seahawks' no table, and they know more about it than I do. Okay. But what I gather, and I gather from them and others, is that John Schneider was ready to make this deal, hmm. that Russell Wilson really wanted this deal. I can imagine. And I think even with the limited amount of draft choices that you had left at your disposal, you don't even have a number one next year because of the – Still the unsigned Jamal Adams. He's not unsigned, but one more year. Anyway, um, I think they were prepared to do what the Titans did, give a second rounder, maybe even a fourth rounder. But what they were asking the Falcons to do was, you know, he's got a 15.3 salary cap number next year. And that's salary. Salary. Okay. No, he's got a bigger a bigger contract number for the Falcons. But for the Seahawks, for the acquiring team, you're responsible for his salary. Okay. Which would have been, and they got seven million. There's seven million under the cap, right? And he had a fifteen point three. You want to do the math on that? Where's that other eight point something coming from? Well, Mitch Unfiltered, (laughs) right? Patrons. (laughs) Yes. But uh, as I gather it, they wanted they wanted the Falcons to say, "All right, we'll pay ten million of it. You guys pay five million of it, or we'll pay eight million of it. You guys pay seven million of it." They wanted them to 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 pay a little bit, so they didn't have to make drastic changes. Because at the end of the day. We, we keep coming back to this Russell Wilson renegotiation, which yeah. I think is very interesting. Okay. The whole thing is very interesting because they could have freed up salary cap and still can if they want to go after the guy that I think that they should go after, okay. which is Stephon Gilmore, the Patriots cornerback, CB, right? Yep. Who the Patriots have on one more year, I think, 
and there's been rumors that they're willing to trade him, and he's still he's still a very good. At one point, he was the best cornerback in the NFL. He's probably a year removed from that, okay. but still probably the best cornerback on the Seahawks. If they were to acquire him, they would have their number one cornerback. I think that they should be concentrating on him more than Julio Jones, okay. especially since Julio Jones isn't coming here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. like you say. Ah, <laughs> oh, we don't want Julio. We want Stephon Gilmore. Who needs him? <laughs> he yeah. never stays healthy. Nah. Um, where was I? But the, the renegotiating of the, of the, of the Russell Wilson deal, which the Seahawks don't like doing sure, and they don't want to do it, which is taking his big salary this year and converting it to bonus money to him. It's no different. He just gets it at the beginning in one lump sum to them. They can then amortize it over the next few years and even add a couple of dummy years. But what happens is, is you're pushing, you're pushing the salary cap ramifications ahead. So yeah. if they want to trade him next year, his dead number becomes it becomes harder and harder and harder to trade him if you renegotiate. Right. So they want to kind of keep him as it is yeah. so they have more flexibility next year. And if he truly wants to get out of here, which I don't know whether he does or doesn't, then it makes more sense for him that they don't renegotiate. Because if they renegotiate again, it makes it very difficult. It's a big pill for them to swallow in terms of dead money a year from now to trade him if he truly wants to be traded. Yeah. So. There's a lot going on there. And then there's the Bobby Wagner deal. That could be renegotiated a little bit. And so there's there's flexibility ways, but the Seahawks don't want to do that. They didn't want to do it with Julio Jones, so Julio Jones is now a Titan. Yeah. And I don't think they want to do it with Stephon Gilmore or anybody else. So we'll kind of wait and see whether the Seahawks are as is. There'll be no Julio Jones or whether they're going to go take a – Maybe they're taking a run behind closed doors right now as we speak on on Stephon Gilmore. So the Falcons didn't eat any of Julio Jones' salary no. for the for the Titans. Titans, according to what I read, all the reports I read is it was a straight trade. Wow. They the Titans trade a second and a fourth to Atlanta. Atlanta gives them their sixth, and the Titans acquire the contract as is. Hmm. He's owed fifteen point something this year, eleven point something next year, eleven point something, and that means the Falcons get as much salary cap relief they don't get full salary cap relief because of his signing bonus yeah. they're still paying that off there's still dead money for the falcons but they get as much salary cap relief as they possibly could that they wouldn't have gotten had they traded him here to seattle does that make any yep, sense totally. Did i confuse everybody i'm surprised john schneider thought that the falcons would eat some of it i mean there's definitely teams out there that would have paid the whole thing i don't know why he would ask that or why he would go down that i mean i guess that's his hands are tied that's all he can do I don't. I didn't say that. I that he thought that the Falcons would do anything. But I, I thought you said that's that's what he that's what they that's offered what, up. That's what he wanted. Right. I'm surprised you would even. You take a shot. I, they, I guess you but take a shot. He's a pretty good player if, that someone's going to pay for. Well, he's thirty something years old and he's broken down a little bit. Okay. And, and there may have you know as far as John Schneider knows, he doesn't know whether any team. He didn't know whether the Titans were taking on the whole contract. Okay. Maybe that maybe the Falcons were eating some of the money for the Titans. He didn't know any of that, so he's yeah. gonna he's gonna take a run. Maybe he was willing to up the compensation. Maybe he was willing to say to the to the Falcons, "I'll give you more than what the Titans give you. I'll give you a second and a third." Mm. I'll give you a second and a fourth, okay. and you don't have to give me the sixth. But here's what I want. I want you to to eat a little bit of the salary, right? Yeah. The Falcons could have had a couple of different types of offers. In the okay. end, they they sent them to the to the AFC and the Tennessee Titans. I will say I was happy to hear from your, your writer friend from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, D. Ledbetter. Yes. That he thinks the Seahawks are a Julio Jones away from winning the Super Bowl. I was like, really? <laughs> okay, that sounds good. 
Well, then there's still Julio Jones. <laughs> and a few other positions as well. But D Orlando. Yeah, D Orlando. That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's good to know, though. They're one receiver away from winning it. I can't wait. Uh, I don't think that the Mariners are one hitter away from winning the world championship, but the one hitter that we've had our eye on for a long time and we spoke about on 143P is Jared Kelnick. And I'm here to report that as of the recording before the Mayweather-Paul fight, <laughs> yes. he has still not gotten a hit. I had the game on. I was, I was explaining to Piper what's going on with this poor guy. And, and I, I, was, I wanted to wait around to watch him bat, but I, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't watch. I, could, I didn't know he was still hitless. He is now zero for his last 39 at-bats. Zero for 39, which is the, the worst streak in baseball this year of any player. I don't want to know what the worst ever is. 18 strikeouts in those 39 at-bats. Oh. If, you, if you ask plate appearances, which of course is at-bats plus more, any walks don't count as play, play, uh, uh, official at-bats. Yep. He's zero for his last 44 plate appearances. I believe the all-time record for a non-pitcher is like 55 or six. He is climbing the ranks. I think it was Chris Davis of the Baltimore Orioles, but don't hold me to that because I don't have have proof of that. But Jared Kelnick is now hitting 0.96 hot shot, Scott, on the season. Do I need to repeat that for you? Please. 0.96 point. 096. And Scott Service, the manager, says it's going to end. Quote, Jared is a really good player. He's going through a tough stretch right now. Is that what this is? A tough stretch? <laughs> <laughs> Again, oh. like I said on the last episode, Kevin Mather somewhere is going, I told you so. Not ready. Not ready. It's Kevin Mather, right? Was his name? The Kiwanis? Kevin Club? Mather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's been telling us yeah. this whole time he's not ready. It's just, uh, we're laughing. And, this by, is, and by the way, rough. the kid himself has been telling us this whole time, I am ready. Yeah. This is humble pie. This is a little bit of humble pie, no, no matter what, right? Yeah. So I, what do you do? Do you ride it out? They've already moved him from first to sixth. Now they're sitting him out every few days. They sat him out on Sunday out of the lineup. Mm. At what point do you just do you just cut bait and say, all right, go down to Tacoma. Here's a here's a car. It just it's just forty minutes, thirty minutes down the road, and just beat the hell out of the ball for a couple weeks. You're fine. We love you. We'll bring you right back. At what point do you just let him go face AAA pitching and and sock a couple of doubles and home runs? Here's a meatless sandwich for you. Head on head on down to the the old AAA park with some crappy food and yeah, but I mean you risk you risk messing with his head and his confidence. And, and this and... isn't messing with his head and his confidence. <laughs> well, yeah. Isn't O for forty four messing with his head and his confidence? At what point? I mean. Look, I was, I was. Uh, by the way, I, I'm not saying this move him to Tacoma like I've been saying it all along. I haven't been saying it all along. I've actually been in the camp of, look, he's going to be great. He'll and I said, he'll figure it. And once he starts hitting, he's not going to stop. He's going to be great. I told you this on 143P. Yep. And so I was in the, in, the, in the category of the people that said, don't send him back down. But at some point... That was at 130, I think, at, at 0.130 and 125 and 117 and 109. He's now hitting 096, and he's striking out essentially half of his at-bats. Okay, at, I'm now, now 
and it's not about the team. I couldn't give a rat's ass about whether he makes the team better there or here. I don't. They're not going anywhere, right. as far as I'm concerned. Over 162 games, they're not going anywhere. Correct. Okay, so I, I'm not worried about. Oh, you're not putting your best product out there, or you're not giving yourself a best chance to win. They suck. They've always sucked. I'm not worried about that. <laughs> always. Sucked. I'm worried about him. Yeah. I'm yeah, worried you don't about want to lose him. him for At sure. what point is it just better off for him? That he just goes and he rakes at Tacoma for a couple of weeks and then comes back and you starts starts fresh. The all-time record's 0 for 54? I, I in played appearances, I don't know. Okay. I, I think it's 55 or 60, something like okay. that from Christy. I mean he's So I'll answer your question. You set him down at 0 for 54. Okay. If in fact it's 55. You don't want him to set the record. All right. You cut bait right before he's about to set the record. That's what I would do. I we're, we are laughing about this, but you know, it's I feel I feel for the kids. Tough. Oh my God. Yeah. I, Imagine how good he was in Little League. Imagine how good he was in middle school, high school. I mean, his whole life, he's been the best player on any diamond he walks on. And then he has to deal with this. So. And, and he, can't, he can't even make contact in half of the yeah. bats now. Yeah, you know, in the, early on in this bad streak, there were these data people, these analysts, these, these numbers, sabermetrics guys who would say, Oh, he's one of the more unlucky. He's hitting the ball hard. He's just hitting at people. He's unlucky. He really should be hitting, if you do the metrics of it, he should be hitting 250 or 260 with the balls in play. That's what the – those people are not – I don't hear those people anymore. (laughs) They went on vacation, all of them. (laughs) Well, how (laughs) – Yeah. Well, how do you give me that when he's not making contact? Right. So, looking at called third strikes deep in games, and I still think – I'm going to say it. I still think Jared Kelnick is going to be a star major leaguer. Okay. I do. I don't think that this this defines the rest of his career, but I don't think – I think it's better for him now to be hitting in Tacoma every night than sitting out Sunday's game – Knowing that I'm old for my last 44 plate appearances and I'm hitting 096, really does that really do much for him? Sitting out and having him sit in the dugout and watch the other team? Well, really? He's so competitive, though. He might just go down to Tacoma and say, "Yes, I just hit a home run, but I did it off Triple A. Like I need to be up. I want to keep trying to do it in the big leagues. I want even if I fail, I don't want to go down and hit Triple A pitching. Okay. It's beneath me. He failed. <laughs> yeah, well, he failed so at the far, beginning. Yeah. He's failed so far. So. I don't know. We could probably look this up, but I wonder what someone like Griffey did in their first, you know, 100 at-bats in the big leagues. It we wasn't this. No, no. Oh, I know, but it, how long does it typically take a, a star to figure it out is what I'm just kind of curious, you know. I could probably look that up, but I got boxing to watch, so I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> boxing. Uh, the good news is, is that Logan Gilbert on Sunday, the other prize prospect, threw five innings of two-hit baseball, and he's been better and better and better on the mound every fifth day that he's come out. So there isn't, there, there's, there is some encouraging light at the end of the tunnel in terms of Mariners' prospects. And I think before we end uh, segment number one with some sporty stuff and we do some interviews and then the other stuff segment, we got, we both got a million things that we've been holding on to since the, the two weeks have gone by. We've got to mention the name Jacob deGrom, don't we? Jacob deGrom. You know how I've never heard of the mayor of what? Mayor of Easttown. Of Easttown. You've never heard of Jacob deGrom. I feel like I have. You don't have any idea who Jacob deGrom is. Pitcher? Yeah. Oh, I know. Give Pitchers. me a team. I know. Give Baseball. me a team. <laughs> Give me a team. Um, he plays for the team that beat the Padres over the weekend. Yes. And that team is... Yes. 
the Nationals. Why would you? How would you know that he I beat the Padres? Sp- I love sports. I watch it all the time. But how do you know that he beat the Padres, but not know the team that he's I know on? it's weird, isn't it? Because I was watching the you highlights. Know, somebody who doesn't know the team that Jacob Degrom is on, right off the top of their head, shouldn't say, "I follow sports and I watch it all the time." No, Mets. No. Yes. Yeah. See, did somebody in your ear? Did, did the producer just tell you? <laughs> That's right. The producer told me. You got somebody in your ear? I know our producer. He wouldn't know either. Yes, Jacob Degrom. He's killing it. I saw point nine six. Was this all ERA. a joke? Did you just, were you just putting me on, or no. did, you, did you just think of the Mets? No, I I watched the highlights over the weekend on Saturday night. I was watching. I was watching him go off. He's against having the, the greatest start to a season yeah. in the history. Now. You're a sports fan, so you know. Baseball's been around for a few years. A couple, yes. Just a couple years. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Have you, have you, do you, have, do you under, have any idea the numbers that this guy's putting up? I saw him on a list of people in their first five star or whatever, and it was, okay. it was a who's who. He has started nine games, Hotshot. Yeah. Nine starts. Okay. He has allowed one run in four of them. How many other starts were there? Five. Zero runs in those five. Sheesh. So he has allowed four earned runs. In the nine starts, his ERA is 0.62. His fastball on Saturday night's game against the Padres, in Saturday night's game against the Padres, averaged the average of all the fastballs that he that he threw the whole night. Okay. 100 miles an hour. Jeez. That was the average. Okay. He has pitched 58 innings. He has allowed four earned runs. He has struck out 93 guys in 58 innings, and he has walked eight. He's got a 12, essentially a 12 to one strikeouts to walk ratio. The greatest, the the the, the accepted, the standard, the gold standard for greatest season by a pitcher in the live ball era was the year after I was born, 1968. By Sandy Koufax. No, but that's a good guess. Bob Gibson. Correct. Thank you. Bob Gibson is is. I mean, this is there's very there are very few things in sports that are like not debatable. Okay. Everything has a debate. Sure. Who's the greatest? This. Right. Who's the greatest? That. This is like the most non-debatable situation. If you asked 100 baseball purist experts and you said greatest pitcher, greatest season, greatest season by a yeah. pitcher in the history of baseball in the live ball era, 100 of them would say wow. not 99. 1968 Bob Gibson. Okay. 1.12 earned run average over like 35, 40 starts. This guy's got a 0.62 <laughs> earned run average. Yeah. Right, this guy is 32 or 33 years old. Not 25, 26. Yeah. And untouchable. Absolutely untouchable. I could probably it's look crazy. this up as well, but what was his career like the previous 10 years? I mean, it... Was he? It's, he's been very good for a long okay, time. Okay, so it's not just like an aberration. No, 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 no. Okay, no, he, he's a, he's a, he's an all-star pitcher. He now, he's okay. never been this. good. No one's ever been this good. Right, right, yeah. But he's always been very, very good. Okay, I was very, curious, very good. Yeah. yeah, he's a Cy Young contender every single year. Gotcha. He's, he's the Mike Trout of the National League pitchers, if okay. you want to call him that. And so, he's still throwing heat. One hundred <laughs> miles crazy. an hour. Yeah. The first eight pitches that he threw on Saturday night against the Padres were all ninety-nine or faster fastballs the Jeez. first eight pitches Incredible. and then he threw a 93 mil oh by the way and here here's the great this might be the best stat of all this was his ninth start he did something for the first time in his eighth start okay that he had not done in his previous seven starts now he's a starting pitcher in yeah. the national league he's having one of the greatest seasons of all time what did he do in his eighth start 
that he had not done one time in his previous seven. This is going to tell. If this doesn't tell you the story, I give up. Wow. I give in. I retire from Mitch Unfiltered. Picked a guy off at first. He threw a curveball. I was going to say that, but that can't be right. He never threw one curveball until his eighth start. And he has allowed four runs in 58 innings and 93 strikes. He doesn't even throw his curveball. I was going to guess that, I swear, but that, doesn't, that just that can't be right. The catcher after the game was like, <laughs> I, I, didn't know, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> He's I couldn't waving believe off it. his curveball yeah, call. I, I, I put down a one. I put down yeah. a squiggly. I put down a three. I, yeah. I, he kept on... Tw- he, he wanted to throw a curveball. Like, all of a sudden, like like Forrest Gump stopping his run. All of a sudden, like yeah, in his yeah. eighth start, he's like, all right, I think I'm going to throw a curveball. And he threw one. That's it. He struck the guy out, and that was it. That's it. Incredible. He just wanted to throw it. He just felt like throwing a curveball. I can't believe I have to now follow Mets games instead of Mariners. I want to see once this every guy fifth day. Yeah. You've got to follow once. So Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. He'll, he'll pitch probably Friday night. Okay. The guy has been absolutely ridiculous. Incredible. Ridiculous. Yeah. And before somebody says, oh, it's a different era, you know, nobody's getting hits. Everybody's got everybody's got batting averages that are low. He's he's doing it again. No, no, no. The truth is, is that like the overall composite ERA of Major League Baseball is high. Hmm. People are scoring runs, they're just not getting hits. Okay. They're hitting home runs or striking out. Gotcha. So they're not they don't have batting averages, but people are hitting home runs at a at a at a gaudy clip and scoring runs. So he's not doing it in an era where it's become easier to you, you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, because we've talked about how batting averages are down. Like there's right. been more no hitters right. this early. So somebody could yeah. say, okay, batting average the, the 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 major league baseball batting average is like two thirty four. Right. So he's doing it in a year. Of course he's gonna be like that. No, well, yeah, batting averages don't determine runs scored because if, if more home runs are being That's hit, right. then runs are being scored. And I think it's like 4-point-something, 4.02, 4.05, the aggregate ERA of Major League Base. So he's doing it in an era where ERAs are high. He's got a chance to be to be in the record books as one of the great, maybe the greatest seed. Now, he's got a long way to go. Yeah. We're still only in, what, June? Yep. So there's still a long summer and, you know, who knows? But this is this is the greatest start to a a a, a, a pitcher's career in a lot maybe ever. He's thirty two. You said I think he's thirty two years old. That's incredible. And he's tall. Have you seen it? And he, yeah, hits, and he hits home runs. Oh, he does. Oh yeah. Oh, he's, oh he hits home runs. He hits doubles. He's an athlete. Yeah. Crazy. If you put him on the Mariners, he'd have an eight point seven two ERA just for no reason at all, wouldn't he? He would. The Mariners would find a way to just ruin him. <laughs> and Scott Service would be quoted as saying. It's going to end. He's a very good ball player. Yeah, yeah. He's just going through a tough stretch right now. Yes, he is, Scott. Thank you. All right, three interviews, and then uh, you and I with other stuff. Lots of sports and other stuff on this episode 144. She's back. Senior financial planner Katie Versio, Evergreen Golf Call. How are you, Katie, and how are all my friends doing over at Evergreen? Uh, I'm good. We're all good. Thanks for asking and for having me today, Mitch. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm feeling okay because I've never gone three for three on one of your financial trivia contests and I'm hoping that today is the day. Do we have a theme today, Katie? Yes. So the theme is of new legislation that's recently been passed in Washington. So hopefully you've been uh, researching, been studying that. (laughs) Go ahead. What's question number one? Number one. Okay. So Washington recently passed the Long-Term Care Trust Act, which is a new payroll tax to help fund long-term care services. According to Morningstar, what current percentage of individuals turning 65 will end up needing some kind of long-term care in their life? 
Is it 30%, 45, 60, or 70%? Oh, I'm going out the window right away. I'll say 60%, Katie. Oof, unfortunately, the answer is 70%. Oh. So that means the majority of those that are turning 65 today will need, whether it's nursing home care, assisted living, home health care, some kind of services as they age. I'm protesting Morningstar. Go ahead, question number two. <laughs> okay, true or false? This one's a little bit easier. You only got two options here. Oh, no. So all workers, since this is a payroll tax, all workers in Washington state are required to pay this tax. True or false? Oh. I'll say true, Katie, go ahead. Tell me Oops. it's false. Oh, Sorry. No. <laughs> it's good news for the taxpayers, not good news for uh, your record here. Oh. But there are some exceptions. If you're an independent contractor, if you are a 1099 worker, you don't have to pay this tax. If you don't want to, you can opt into it. Also, if you have a long-term care policy or you purchase one in 2021, you are able to opt out of this tax. When my parents see my report card, <laughs> going to be bad news in the Levy household. <laughs> Go ahead. Question number three. Let me see if I can save some face. Go ahead. All right. So another law that was recently passed, but is currently being debated. There's some lawsuits against this one. It's regarding capital gains. How the law stands today is there will be a flat 7% tax that's assessed to capital gains exceeding what dollar amount? Is it 50,000, 100,000, 250,000 or 300,000? I'm, I'm throwing the two extremes out. I'm in the middle of 100 and 250. I'll go 100,000, Katie. Ooh, I'm sorry that you're zero for three on this one. It's actually 250,000. Really? If you are selling stocks, any other types of property, and you have gains in a given year above 250,000, as the law stands today, there will be a flat 7% tax assessed to that. Have you ever heard of going easy on the host, Katie? <laughs> you're supposed to go easy on the host. I love her anyway. She's back with us, senior financial planner, Katie Versio of Evergreen Golf Call. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen Golf Call is everything wealth. Unfiltered. The Titans and the Falcons have reportedly come to terms on a deal that will send all-pro wide receiver Julio Jones to Tennessee in exchange for at least a second-round pick. Again, Julio Jones, now a Tennessee Titan. It's Seahawks No Table Time. My guys, Brady Henderson, ESPN, Joe Fan, NBC Sports Northwest here on episode 144. So we played golf together the other day, and I was wondering, Joe, what happens if word comes out that the Seahawks have traded for Julio Jones <laughs> with you like five under through six holes at Aldera playing the seventh hole. You're in the middle of the fairway at seven. You're five under on the round. And Julio Jones gets traded to the Seahawks. Does that mean the two of you guys walk off the course or you call for carts to be taken to the parking lot? What You leave me stranded on the seventh hole all by myself? How does that work for a beat guy? I would have said, you know what? I think Brady's got this under control. I'm going to stay locked <laughs> in and just continue to, to tear up Aldera. You know what? Something similar to that happened to me last summer when they traded for Jamal Adams. I was having a good round at Druid's Glen, and the news broke, and I had to. I was faced with that same decision, and uh, 
Fortunately, we have a well. We have a Jets writer, Rich Samini, who he has been on the program before. Uh, we just decided that he would handle the news story, and then when I got back, I would write a reaction piece. So it worked out fine. But there was yeah. a moment of crisis for me. The same thing happened to me. Broke. I was down at Gold Mountain me too. at the turn of playing 36. <laughs> Didn't bring my laptop because I was like, it's a hot day. I don't want it baking in my car all day. Yeah. And we're about to tee off on our second round, and the trade goes down, and you're just like, well. We'll get there in uh, six hours or so. Well, well, let's make it a threesome because I was on the 16th hole in a golf tournament, in a tournament at Aldera Golf Club when Rick Fair, former PGA Tour winner, came to me on the 16th hole and said, Jamal Adams is a Seahawk. And I was like, oh, Jesus, really? And, uh, you know, yeah. it was cool walking through uh, the Aldera Country Club here this last week and uh, getting to see your name up on the, you know, club champion yeah. Uh, yeah. plaque. So congrats <laughs> on winning that tournament. Apparently you either need to learn how to read or you need eyeglasses, one of the two, because you've never seen me up there on any plaque at, uh, at Aldera. All right, let's talk about it. It was fun to think about Brady for a while. It was fun to talk about for Seahawk fans Julio Jones becoming a Seahawk next to DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. But as we all thought, despite the reports, and you were kind of at the head of this class, it was going to be a long shot for the Seahawks to get him. Now, of course, he ends up in Tennessee. You know, kind of start from the beginning why you felt that way. Yeah, why well, I spoke with a source uh, recently who said that basically described the Seahawks' interest in Julio Jones as them having done their usual due diligence that they do whenever somebody becomes available. And from what I understand, people would probably imagine the contract, Julio Jones' contract, three years, more than $38 million remaining, including $15 million salary this season. That was a big roadblock. And I think it would have taken something similar to the Genevieve Clowney trade a couple of years ago. Remember, Houston took on about half of his salary. I think it would have taken that. And it also might have taken the Seahawks restructuring one of their current contracts, which from everything I've been hearing for the last few months, they really do not want to do. They did it in 2017 to facilitate the trades uh, for Sheldon Richardson and Dwayne Brown. But remember, those were guys that they added after injuries. Malik McDowell got hurt. George Fant tore his ACL. So those guys were needs. Julio Jones would have been a luxury in an already loaded receiver core. So it just wasn't something that they were going to extend themselves in order to pull off. Joe? Yeah, I think that I just, I agree with Brady. I always seemed like a long shot. To me, it was more of the, it's not super practical, but it would be a whole lot of fun. And so when covering a team, let's go on Team Chaos and find a way to make it happen. All of a sudden, you're covering a team with, with Julio Jones, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett. But no, it did always seem like a long shot. Didn't seem like it was a very practical move, especially, you know, not just the cost, but like Brady said, the need. The real loser here is Falcons fans who never get to see Kyle Pitts, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley take the field together. But A.J. Brown and Julio Jones coming to town in week two for the Seahawks home opener uh, should be a whole lot of fun. Yeah, and if the Seahawks weren't going to – if they weren't going to pull this trade off, which, again, it was a long shot, I think the worst-case scenario would have been that the 49ers got. And remember, the 49ers were believed to be involved to some degree uh, in a potential trade for Jones. And imagine the Seahawks with – their suspect group of cornerbacks having to face Julio Jones twice a season. That's certainly something that they would have liked to avoid. So I'm sure that they're glad that he landed in the AFC as opposed to the NFC, especially the NFC West. And now whatever resources they might have spent on Julio Jones, they can now address uh, their cornerback spot, which is the biggest weakness on their roster. And they know that. We'll get there in a moment. Can we put away the Julio Jones thing for a second, Brady? Can we assume that the Tennessee Titans are paying the entire 
they're inheriting the entire contract, right? The Falcons are not swallowing any of that $37, $38 million that you were talking about. I, I have not heard anything uh, since the reports came out or since the, the trade became official that Atlanta is taking on any of that salary. So uh, until I hear otherwise, I, I'm assuming that that's the case. That's what I understood, that that was the talk around the league, that Atlanta was not willing to take on any of that salary. I remember one of the reasons they were interested in trading Jones, they wanted to trade him in the first place, was to clean up their cap. And so when you start taking on some of the salary, that sort of defeats the purpose of trading him. So the only chance the Seahawks really had was if no team in the NFL was willing to take on the entirety of the contract. The remaining of the contract. As soon as as soon as the Falcons found somebody, and in this case Tennessee, that would take on all thirty-eight million, the Seahawks were essentially out, right? Yeah, and, and we also don't know what the Seahawks would have been interested in giving up in terms of draft pick compensation versus what the uh, what Tennessee did. There were reports that that Atlanta had a first offer for a first round pick on the table, which is interesting because the deal that they that they agreed to does not include a first-round pick, so I'm not sure what to make of that. But, yeah, there, there's a lot of factors in play. But, uh, yeah, the okay. Seahawks just were not going to take on that salary as it is. Joe, you tweeted out the other day, and the reason I know this is because I'm a Joe fan follower. I am. When Joe fan speaks, I listen. He's like E.F. Hutton, which you guys don't remember because you're too young. But, Joe, you, you tweeted out something along the lines of Julio Jones is better than nothing, but Stephon Gilmore is better than Julio Jones for the Seahawks in terms of acquisition. So now they have not improved their wide receiving core, but they can take a good, hard, long look at Gilmore and the the cornerback room of the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots need him. The issue is he's just not happy there right now, and he wants to get paid. And so they have something to figure out with him. They likely get that done because they're in win-now mode. But I guess to me it was just if we're throwing out wish lists – and Seahawks fans are pounding the table for Julio Jones, it would be much more practical for the Seahawks to go for a defensive piece to address, as Brady said, their biggest roster deficiency, and that's at corner. And you're getting a guy who is coming off of an injury and only played or didn't play a full season and is over 30 now. But at the same time, you know, this is a guy who would be and you automatically become your number one corner. You know, you could argue that, you know, trading for or, not, or signing Richard Sherman would be better than any trade and, you know, save your draft picks and all of that. But to me, if we're going pie in the sky dreams uh, in terms of trade talks, you know, let's focus on a position and a player who could potentially be had or potentially isn't happy in his current situation, who to me would would have a much bigger impact on Seattle's uh, overall ceiling. Yes, but but the, I think the issue, the, the reason why New England is in this predicament in the first place with Gilmore is that I think he wants a new contract. And from what I understand, just the timeline of this was, remember, he signed that big deal in, I think, 2017. At the time, it was near the top of the market uh, for cornerbacks. And then he very quickly, be- between the way that he played – and the way that the cornerback market took off, that, that contract became outdated. So basically what New England did was they advanced him some of his salary uh, from this season 
to, I think it was maybe last year or the year before, basically just to buy themselves time, knowing that it's going to solve the problem now, but they're going to have to revisit this later. And so, you know, it's, I think he made $13 million last season, according to the contract figures I'm looking at. Uh, it's Potrack right now, and he's only set to make $7 million this season. So uh, I think that anybody who, who might trade, anybody who trades for Stefan Gilmore, you know, he's probably going to want a new contract. And so then the question becomes, how much money do you want to invest in what a 30 year old cornerback who two years ago was the NFL's defensive player of the year, but last year did not play at that level. And when we're talking about acquiring people, acquiring players with salary, we go back to the conversation that Brady brought up at the beginning of this segment, which is the Seahawks are in a position where they might have to redo a Russell Wilson's deal or a Bobby Wagner's deal. And as Brady has pointed out over and over again, they don't want to do that. They'd prefer to not do that. Joe, you want to take a shot at explaining to unfiltered listeners what it is about that process that scares the Seahawks and and makes them prefer to do it other ways. Yeah, anytime you restructure somebody, you kick the can down the road in terms of what the cap number is and what the dead cap is. And so, so much of the conversation of whether or not to trade Russell Wilson this offseason was all about that, what was it, 39 million in dead cap space the Seahawks would have to eat. If you were to restructure... That, that relief you get next year, should you deal him next offseason, would now be inflated and balloon once again. And so, to me, it, it has always been with those guys uh, a type of situation where it would be an absolute last resort. And I asked Pete Carroll whether or not he considered doing so for, for Bobby and Russell, and he mentioned they considered all of it, but it did seem like it's a last resort for them. He said they, hadn't ha- they haven't had to do it thus far. They've operated within the cap space they've had, and they've opted to go for the void years on new contracts rather than restructuring the contracts, the big contracts they already have. Yeah, and Joe's right. That's one of the issues with Russell Wilson, why they don't want to do that. But it's it's twofold. It's not only in the event that they trade him, you know, say that, you know, whatever goodwill that they've built back up, say things go south again and it gets to a point where he wants to be traded. There's a ton of dead money there. It's also an issue if if, say, things go smoothly for the next few years and they want to extend him. Whenever you're talking about an extension for a player at that level, it's typically based off of what it would cost to tag him. And the tag is based off of what the player's cap hit is in the final year of his deal. So now if you are deferring cap, if you do a restructure, and, and, and when we say restructure here, in this case, we're talking about not a player taking a pay cut, just a guy, it's a simple restructure where you convert some of his salary into a signing bonus. So he makes the same amount of money. You're just spreading out the cap charges for cap purposes. And when you do something like that, as Joe said, you are deferring cap charges onto later years. So in the later years of that deal, you're increasing the cap number, which would thus increase the cost to tag him, which would thus increase whatever you'd have to pay him on an average uh, in, you know, in a new deal. And so that happened to them when they restructured Wilson's deal in 2017 to facilitate their trade for Dwayne Brown. That ended up working in Russell Wilson's favor and in the favor of his agent in negotiations. That's not something that they want to do again. Let's play a little fill in the blank with you boys. You both get a shot at this as the days, I guess it's multiple choice more than fill in the blank because Joe likes multiple choice better than fill in the blank. He always has since he was a student. As the days and weeks move along, Joe, the chances of K.J. Wright returning to the Hawks, A, get smaller, B, get larger, more chance, or C, stay the same as days go by? I would say C, stay the same. 
and I, this is bringing back nightmares of scantrons where you have like four A's in a row and you're like, that can't be right. That can't possibly be right. You go back and you're like, which one's something different? Scantrons were the worst. Uh, um, my problem with scantrons was when you decided to skip one and come back to it and then you put the next one in that one oh and you boy. were one off for the <laughs> disaster. You're, you're, and then you got to the end and you got to 40, the 40th question, and you realize, wait a second. I just did 39, so 39, 38, 37, 36, all the way back to the one you skipped was wrong. Uh, not that I remember any of that, but go ahead, Joe. I interrupted. I, I think it stays the same. <laughs> Pete Carroll made it pretty clear they're not talking with K.J. Wright. They want to see what they have in camp. They want to see what they have in Daryl Taylor and Cody Barton, potentially even Ben Burkirvin. They've invested so heavily in Jordan Brooks, obviously, a guy they spent a first-round pick on in 2020. They've invested so heavily in Barton, uh, Daryl Taylor, and Jordan Brooks that at some point, those guys have to get on the field. And, and the roadblock with signing KJ is either A, it, it, more, more scantrons, more options here, is KJ Wright happy in a potentially part-time role? B, are you relegating Jordan Brooks back to a, bar, a part-time role? C, I mean, are you just giving up on Cody Barton altogether? Now, I think they really want... Jordan Brooks to be their starting will linebacker. And I think they want Cody Barton to be in a competition with Daryl Taylor to where Daryl Taylor could potentially be a Bruce Irvin 2.0 to where he's a three down player. He stays healthy. He's everything they hoped he'd be from a pass rush standpoint, but quick enough to play in coverage. And then since he's not on the defensive line and base downs, you're getting more snaps for Carlos Dunlap, Benson Mayoa, Alton Robinson, Kerry Hyder, who can play both inside and outside, but was more effective at the five tech. You have a, a pretty solid group depth wise at the defensive line spots. And so if Daryl Taylor is able to make a successful move to Sam, that opens up some reps there. And I think they would expect him to beat out Cody Barton. So that's kind of the issue with KJ Wright is, and you also look from his standpoint, he would have to swallow some pride. He made it very clear. He's not going to take a hometown discount to come back to the Seahawks. Yeah, there's just not a spot for him right now. And I, you, when I, I think the last time we did this, you asked me if I thought he was going to come back. I, I may have said 50-50, or I may have said there's, I may have said I, I think he's coming back. At this point, I think it would take something like Daryl Taylor, for whatever reason, not taking hold of that strong side job, or an injury at one of the linebacker spots. Which, by the way, either of those things could happen. But I really think that at this point it would take one of those two things. And I think it's become clear that they want a pass rusher in that role. They, they want somebody to fill that dual role as the strong side linebacker on early downs and the pass rusher on third down. And by the way, somebody who, as a pass rusher, maybe, you know, there's the element of surprise there where maybe you could, maybe that guy could go after the quarterback on one of those early downs. I really think that they want somebody in that role who can do both. Remember, go back to last season. That's why they brought Bruce Servant back to fill that role. Uh, K.J. Wright has always been a good blitzer, but he's not somebody who's going to put his hand in the ground. And it doesn't seem like he's got a lot going on. You know, I, I would have assumed that if he was going to sign elsewhere, it would have been with one of those other teams that has an ex-Seahawk defensive assistant as either their head coach, like Robert Sala with the Jets, or in a defensive coordinator role like uh, Dan Quinn in Atlanta or, you know, Chris Richard, I believe, is in Atlanta or is in um, New Orleans. And so it really doesn't look like there's much going on with any of those teams. And so maybe they get to a point where he's just got nothing going on and they suffer an injury uh, or Daryl Taylor just doesn't work there. But I just think that's what it's going to take at this point. Let's finish up with Jamal Adams. You know, Michael Dixon got a new deal. 
a, a very nice contract for a punter. We've all been waiting for Jamal Adams to get a new deal. None of us believe he's playing. I remember some of the words Joe Fan used. Nobody believes he's playing next year or this coming season on the final year of his contract. And yet it's been all quiet. We've heard nothing from Jamal Adams. We've heard nothing from Jamal Adams' agent. We've heard no whispers from the Seahawks or anybody. What does that mean to you, Joe? The quiet is deafening. It could go. It could mean anything. And I don't want to speculate that talks are going poorly or talks are going well. They're getting close. But when I asked, I think it was right before the draft, uh, asked Pete and John whether or not they still thought that J- Jamal Adams was was in their long-term plans. They were unequivocal in, in, in their support of him and wanting him to be a figurehead of their defense. And we're going to celebrate him during the first round and pop champagne and it's Jamal Adams day and all that. But until your deal is done, it doesn't mean a whole lot that you say you want him around because this is going to be, and, and probably already has been, a tricky negotiation because it's not just about setting the safety market. It's about what extra is he getting for that playmaker, that pass rush tag? Is it closer to the, the guys in the $20 million range with the elite pass rushes in football? Or is it, football, or is it closer uh, to Buda Baker and the deal he got? Uh, which Brady, what, is like 16 and a half, 17? Uh, was it 15.25, which was that the deal that Justin Simmons got? 15 was it Simmons, uh, not Baker? I think one of those two guys set, reset the market just last year. But but regardless, I, I'm sure, you know, Adams wants to be more towards the $20 million. And so, again, there's no doubt that Jamal Adams wants to be here. There's no doubt the Seahawks will want him here. But, but getting him to sign the dotted line on a number uh, that the Seahawks are going to feel good about and Jamal Adams is going to feel good about, you can't guarantee that until it's done. And the, the closer we get to camp, the bigger the storyline it's going to be. And, you know, as of now, until it's done, I'm going to say this has still got holdout written all over it. I, I checked on this recently with a Seahawks source, and from what I understand, they have started negotiations. I, I don't know exactly how how earnest those negotiations have been or, or how formal they've been. From what I understand, though, there have been some talks has not been a ton of movement there, but there is still confidence in the organization that they're going to get something done. And what I would, what, what I think is interesting is look at the last big deal that Jamal Adams' agent Kevin Connor did. It was it was last year uh, with Tredevious White, the All-Pro cornerback for the Bills. That deal got done, I think, right before the season started. It was like September 5th or something like that, right before the season started. And I really wonder if maybe that is an mo on the part of the agent to wait it out as long as possible, maybe get the team to start to sweat a little bit, knowing that by that point, the player is only, what, six months away from free agency, and maybe the agent's play there is hoping that because it's because you're getting so late in the game that maybe the team panics a little bit. So if, you, if you're asking me when I think this deal is going to get done, I would not be surprised if it gets if it goes all the way to uh, to September. And then the question is, what does Adams do? If he doesn't have a deal by the start of training camp, is he going to get back on the field uh, knowing that he's only under contract for one season and uh, what is it, $10 million on his fifth-year option? So things could get interesting there. But, again, from what I understand, there's still confidence in the organization that a deal is going to get done, and I think that it's it could go all the way till September. I liken it back to a couple years ago when Bobby Wagner didn't have his deal. He showed up. He was in sweatpants, didn't participate in anything, but it was sort of a solidarity with his teammates of – hey, I'm here, I'm in the building, but I'm not going to risk injury until I get this contract. And I think it was like day three of camp when Bobby got his deal. Um, So I would imagine that Jamal Adams would be there, but I would be shocked if he did any sort of activity. Uh, Brady, you were were right. You were on it. Uh, Justin Simmons 
15.25 million per year is the, is the top safety contract right now. Buda Baker uh, is behind it at 14.75. So there's a big window between the top of the safety market and, and the top of that pass rush tier one echelon that J- the Jamal Adams is going to be trying to get closer to. All right, there it is. There's a little off-season, an off-season chat with the Seahawks no table. Any last parting words? Anybody want to talk about their handicap? Joe, is it going up, going down? This is kind of like the the uh, the KJ Wright question. Is Joe Fan's handicap going up, going down, or staying the same? After my round at Aldera, uh, 86 with two triples and two doubles. Those two birdies, big savers. Hmm. Uh, went from 11 to 10.7. So just, just a small smidge down of improvement. Single digits on the way. There we go. And Brady Henderson's? Uh, now, now, Brady, do I need to explain this to you? Index yeah. <laughs> versus, versus. Okay, that's an inside I was using the wrong terminology. <laughs> yeah, Mitch educated me in the clubhouse at Aldera uh, on uh, what is a handicap versus what is a handicap index. You yeah. would think that all the golf I play, I should know that, but I did not. So is it going up, going down? Is the Brady Henderson index, the BHI, going up or going down? Well, after I fired a 92 at Aldera, it actually stayed the same. But then I had a nice rebound round, and it went down. Okay, very good. Ladies and gentlemen, Brady Henderson, follow him on Twitter, ESPN.com. And, of course, Joe Fan, my guy, NBC Sports Northwest. They follow the Seahawks. They cover the Seahawks. They chat and write about the Seahawks better than anybody. And I'm fortunate. We are fortunate to have them as part of the Seahawks note table. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Joe. Hey, Mitch, thanks so much, and thanks again for having us out. It was a lot of fun uh, over the track last week. And Brady, thank you, sir. You bet. Thank you, and and thanks again for hosting us. Uh, Nice round by both of you guys. Wish I could say the same for myself. (laughs) Zeke's Pizza president Dan Black joins us. Where else? On the Zeke's Pizza hotline of Mitch Unfiltered. Dan, no masks necessary for those that have been vaccinated twice. What does that mean for all the great locations of Zeke's Pizza now? Yeah, absolutely great news. The weather's awesome. We're coming out of COVID, so the party's on at Zeke's. In terms of where we're at with the masks, as it stands, we're still wearing them and our customers are still wearing them. We follow Washington state law or guidance pretty closely, but it's clear that we're heading towards no masks soon. And uh, it's just a matter of when. Spring turns to summer. So what does that mean for the black family's palates and appetites when it comes to your choice of pizza and beer, Dan? Yeah, you know, summertime, people keep it lighter, and I do that. we do that on the pizza front and the beer front. I got kids, and so we keep it pretty basic in the summer. We order a ton of pepperoni and cheese. And then on the beer front, you know, I usually stick with whatever kind of our current special Zeke's beer is at the time. We got one coming out with Black Raven. It's a light lager, great summer drinker. It's called Stellar's J, and so that's, that's what I'll be drinking this summer. Mitch Unfiltered is almost three years old, and every step of the way, Zeke's has been by my side. I'm so appreciative of Dan, his crew, and all of the Zeke's Pizza locations, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. have won six out of their last seven. Nice pass to Matson. Came right out of his shoe. He's staying after it. Nothing's going to stop Matson. Oh, nice tip in by Shaq. Beautiful tip in. Mark, go get your shoe. He just took his sock off, Stu. I guess you, you better stretch it. Right, right. You don't go to Stanford by accident. 
Kobe Kobe's the most talented player I've ever played with, for sure. Mark Madsen, UVU's men's head basketball coach, is reminiscing on the good old days. A lot of times I said to myself, how am I even in this locker room? How am I even here? Because Kobe and Shaq were so talented. Sharing a smile. A lot of people were nervous to ask Kobe for autographs, including me. <laughs> Episode 144, Mitch Unfiltered. It's been 18 months since the world was shocked with the death of Kobe Bryant, his daughters, and others in that helicopter crash. A few weeks ago, inducted posthumously into the Hall of Fame. You remember Mark Madsen from his days at Stanford as a player, then on two, I believe, of the NBA championship teams of the Lakers. He was also an assistant there in the final couple of years of Kobe's career. Mark's now the head coach of Utah Valley University and joins us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Hi, Mark. Mitch, what's going on? Thanks for having me on the show. The Mad Dog is on the show. Now, who, had, <laughs> who, who had the nickname first? Russo, Chris the Mad Dog Russo, or Mark the Mad Dog Madsen? I want to know. <laughs> That's a great question. Not sure. <laughs> but but I, I, I will tell you, it was my PE teacher that, that gave me the nickname. Mr. Cornell in Danville, California, gave me my nickname. Shoot. Why? I don't know, 30 years, 20. Why? Why? What'd you do? You know, I think he had a nickname for everybody in the elementary school. And he just, he said, man, you play hard. We're, we're going to get you a nickname. And this is the nickname. And then it just kind of stuck with me from that point on. Did Montgomery call you the mad dog? No, he didn't. But my teammates did at Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> uh, give me a little give me a little quattro quattro give me a little of that would you please <laughs> my, my my accent has faded the, uh, i no longer <laughs> i you know i've tried to keep the spanish up it's it's hard to keep it up but but i you know it's funny my wife is teaching herself spanish oh really and uh yeah so it's but my, my accent has gone by the wayside but, boy, those are great memories. People don't know what I'm talking about. You you are obviously famous, infamous for a lot of reasons. You were a terrific player in your own right at Stanford and then an NBA player. When I say quattro, quattro, there were two, and I think these were two different ones. There were two celebrations after the World Championships, one of which you took the mic and you spoke in Spanish. That's what I'm referring to. And, of course, the one that everybody remembers you dancing. You probably danced at both of them. Which one was which? Which one was which year? And how did those things come about? Tell the stories, would you please? Mitch, you're putting me on the spot, man. You're putting me on the spot. <laughs> hey, so what, what happened was I joined the Lakers in, in 2000, the summer of 2000, and you know, Shaq was at the peak of, of his career. He, no one in the NBA could stop Shaq. Kobe was, was coming into his prominence, and we won the championship. I'll never forget being at the Staples Center because it used to be you looked out from the Staples Center, and it was just a huge parking lot. Well, it's been developed. You got the Nokia Center. You got a nice either Ritz-Carlton or Four Seasons right there. But, but there was hundreds of thousands of people out there for the parade. And you had Shaq on the mic, and Shaq started rapping. Shaq had a song dedicated to the championship. And and then all of a sudden, you see the players one by one going down to the stage and just dancing. You see Devin George go down there. You see J.R. Ryder going down there. 
I said to myself, shoot, I've never been a good dancer, but I, I better get down there too. <laughs> and so I get down there and it was fun. It was great. And then the next day or the day or two later, people are coming up to me and they're saying, hey, man, your rhythm was not very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so from there, from there, Mitch, it, it kind of took on a life of its own. And, and oh <laughs> to this day, I'll be walking through the airport. People come up to me and they'll say, hey, I know I know you from somewhere. I know I know you. Oh, and then it'll click. And then <laughs> that's what's All right. funny. All right. But before you get to the Spanish part of this, you have how many guys on your team at Utah Valley? How many guys? We have 13 scholarship players here at Utah Valley, okay. and we had five, five or six walk-ons last year. Okay. You've got 13 scholarships, and you had five or six walk-ons, so you've got about 20 players, give or take. How many of the 20 have seen the video of their coach dancing? <laughs> it's probably a question for them. Probably a question Come on, for them. You, know, you know the answer to this. How many of them do you think have seen the, the video of you dancing? You know, I know. I think a couple have seen it because they'll come up and they'll mess with me sometimes with it. <laughs> you know, they'll tell me I need better rhythm. Uh, and, and, you know, we can laugh and joke about it in the summertime. Now, once the season starts, <laughs> uh, not so much. <laughs> and so how did, how did you decide to take the microphone? It was at – was that pre-orchestrated? How did you take the microphone the one year and speak in Spanish? Well, every single player actually spoke that year. They, they, oh, okay. they had every player say a few words. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think the, the support in L.A. for the team from all communities it w- was, was huge. And, and, look, in particular, I think, you know, I, I felt a connection to the Latino community because I had lived in the Latino theme dorm at Stanford for a few years. And so I, I, oh. I felt a connection – and, and I just wanted to reach out and, and try to connect, you know, in, in a way that was meaningful for me and, and hopefully meaningful for, you know, so, some members of, of the people that had come out to support the team. And there you go. Quattro, quattro. So we're speaking to Mark Madsen, who had a very distinguished college career here in the Pac-10 or Pac-12. He was the 29th pick overall, I think, in the year 2000, right? And you decided after you were drafted during the most quiet month of the offseason, August, to go to the Lakers facility and work out. You know the story that I'm referring to? Yeah, probably when I met Kobe for the first time. Tell the story of going to the facility and thinking, all right, I'm going to get there before anybody. No one's even going to be here. I'm going to work out. I'm going to set a good example who you ran into and what you found out that day. (laughs) Well, first of all, you know, the month of August was – pretty uh, sparse at the Lakers practice site because coming off a championship, most of the guys from the previous team were relaxing, resting, in Cancun, unwinding. Yeah. Um, but, but sure enough, one morning, it was probably 9 or 10, and Kobe walked in. And, you know, I was typically, I typically lifted, and then I went out on the court and I shot. But I said to myself, hey, Kobe's here. Forget the lift. I want, I want to shoot with this guy. Let's get some shots up. And I said, I said, hey, you know, we introduced ourselves, and I said, hey, maybe we'll get some shots up together. And he said, he said I've already made 2,000 shots this morning, <laughs> got up at 5 or 6, and got us done at 5, 5 or 6 a.m. <laughs> and, and, I mean, shoot, everyone knows, your listeners know, basketball players know, to make 2,000 shots. It takes a long time. Is, is no, oh, oh, yeah. And now you have rebounders for you. But, but that just shows – it shows his work ethic, and, and he never – his work ethic never deviated. 
it was always consistent. He was he always worked. He put in the work and it showed on the court. He's coming down the the court and you get switched. There's a switch and you get on him as he comes down in transition. <laughs> I want to hear about the inside crossover and where Madsen, the mad dog, ended up when Kobe Bryant put that move on you in practice. Yeah, so it was it, it was a practice day and you know, I loved playing for Phil Jackson because he made practices fun. We always did the fundamental work at the start, and yeah. then at the end we ended up playing five on five, and a lot of times it was full court. I was on the opposite team of Kobe, and and he's coming down, and somehow I had to switch on to him. And so I'm trying to, I'm picking him up close to kind of between half court and, and the top of the three-point line area. And I'm in a stand, so I'm saying to myself, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slide with him. I got this, you, you know. Uh, <laughs> you're not thinking you're going to lock him up, but you're thinking, I, I'm going to make this tough. Okay. So I get in my stance, and he just, he just comes down. He hits me with the crossover. I, I lose my balance. I fall. <laughs> All I'm thinking is get up quick, get up quick, and keep playing. <laughs> well, well, our, our guy Phil Jackson, who likes to have a good time, he blows the whistle oh, <laughs> just no. just so that getting crossed and then the guy just so it can sink in for all of us. Oh, <laughs> and, and you know what? We were all laughing. I was laughing. Phil was smiling. Kobe was smiling. I, it was just one of those memories. And and you know, Mitch, it was looking back. It, it just Kobe is so much better than, and he was so much better than everyone else with the exception of very few. And, 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 you know, I probably didn't deserve to play in the NBA with my talent level, but, but, but I got there with work and, and hustle and stuff like that. And so, you know, I'm just grateful to, to have spent the seasons, the three seasons, with all my teammates and, and, and also with Kobe. And it's, it's sad that he's not here anymore. Yeah, it really is. How do you view him and Michael Jordan when you think about the two of them and their basketball careers? To me, it's very close between those two. I, I think – the players here at Utah Valley ask me all the time who was better, MJ, Kobe, and, and they'll ask about LeBron as well. And, you know, for, for me, it's probably MJ, number one, and, and, and Kobe right there. Le, LeBron's unbelievable. He's up there also. He's still playing, obviously, but, but Kobe's not far off of MJ. And, and just the tenacity that Kobe exhibited and, and played with it was second to none. It was second to none. I mean, he did everything in his power to win. And I think that's why the, the city of L.A. and Southern California, they embraced him because he cared so much about winning. You were there as an assistant for the last game when he scored 60? Oh, yeah. Do you remember it? Very well. Very well. What do you remember about he, that night, that afternoon? Well, Sunday. what I – what I remember about it was that he started out missing a bunch of shots. He, I mean, he, he was kind of, he, he wasn't on, I mean, he, he was, you know, make one, miss two type thing, but he, but he was getting the shots up. But then at some point in the game, it just clicked and everything he was shooting was going in. I think the refs, it was almost like they just swallowed the whistle sure. because J- Julius Randle was out there, a Laker at the time. He was just like a fullback setting screens <laughs> to get Kobe open, J- just throwing the Utah Jazz players out of the way like a rag doll. Yeah. And then Kobe was coming off of his screens, just knocking down jumpers. And yeah. I will never forget that day as long as I live because 
the entire, there were, you know, close to 20,000 people in the Staples Center just, and we all shared that experience together with Kobe. And it was, it was basketball greatness. And there was no better way for him to go out. I saw you said in a recent interview, Mark, that he didn't like, I didn't know this, that Kobe didn't like signing autographs during the, during the season. Yeah, I mean, it was that everybody was afraid to ask him for an autograph. Really? Uh, you, why? You know, why? Why? Because when you're getting ready for a game, okay, whether it's the day of or three days before, if, if you're asking Kobe for an autograph, what does it say about you? You, you know, you know, Kobe was so focused. I was nervous to ask him for an autograph because then, what's he thinking about me? He was, he wanted to win at all costs. If it was three days before the game, you better be thinking about that game in practice. If it was the day of the game, you're asking me for an autograph? We have a game tonight. <laughs> you know, but before that Jazz game, Nick Young, who's fearless, yep. Nick, Nick said, Kobe, can I, can I get your autograph? And Kobe said, yes. <laughs> and so then everyone starts whispering. And of course, I'm there as a coach. And everyone's like, Kobe's signing. People were sprinting. People were sprinting. Shoot, I was sprinting. I was sprinting. I, I, I sprinted the coach's locker room. I, I got my pair of Kobe shoes. I, he signed it for me. I mean, I mean, players were just scrambling for, to get him to sign stuff. Yeah, it, it was crazy. I, I've never seen anything like it. You know, Kobe would sign at the parade. Kobe, Kobe was great with autographs, but you just didn't want to – you know, most guys didn't want to introduce that in the middle of the season because it was so important. You know, the season was important. Signing autographs wasn't important. All you guys had Nick Young to thank. (laughs) (laughs) Nick is fearless. Nick is fearless. Uh, All right, before you go, and I want to ask you about your coaching, but before you go, you had kind of a very nice, interesting relationship with Shaq. We mentioned him at the top in his rap. You told a story, I can't remember, I saw a couple of your interviews before you and I started. You told a story about hanging out with Shaq right after he signed some sort of a contract extension. Like, uh, I don't know, like an $80 million contract extension. You and him jumped in the car and did some things. Tell our audience that story, Mark. No, so, yeah, exactly. So, so Shaq had been asking, so when I graduated from college, my parents gave me a gift. It was a Toyota Previa minivan. <laughs> Okay, now it, <laughs> that was my first car. Uh-huh. That was my first car. Uh-huh. You know, because I I had kind of been borrowing the family car for a lot of years, and they gave it to me. It had a dent in the side, you know. But I was so happy I had that car. I drove it down. I'd already signed with the Lakers, but you don't start getting paid until November fifteenth, um, and so you know I'm on a slim budget until that time. So I'm driving my little. Toyota Previa around LA, going on a date, going on a date here and there in the Previa, you, you know. And Shaq, one day he's like, "Who the heck is driving that Previa with the dent in the side?" He says this in the locker room. I said, "Shaq, that's me." And he said, "Oh no, We're, you're not doing that. You can't go into the, you can't roll into the Staples with that thing." And so after he signed the contract, we get in his Bentley. He drives into a dealership in Manhattan Beach, 
Beautiful. He offers to put down the down payment. I, I don't let him. I just trade in my little Toyota. So he probably knew what he was doing because he knew I would trade in the Previa to get the Chevy Tahoe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but then the Tahoe wasn't ready to be picked up, picked up yet. So we got back in his Bentley. We drove up to Westwood. Mm-hmm. We went over to the big and tall store. He, he dropped 7000 on clothes for me. Um, wow. Then we go to the Beverly Hills Mall. He buys a Rolex for every single member of the team as a thank you for the championship and as a thank you for the contract that he he had just signed. I mean, Shaq is just, Shaquille O'Neal is one of the most generous human beings you will ever come across, period. Generous with his resources, generous with his time, generous with his personality. That's an amazing story. That's an amazing story. All right, Utah. So now you're on the other – well, you're not on the other side. You were an assistant in the NBA. So now you're the head coach at Utah Valley. What's the future hold? What, what is it? Tell me about coaching. Tell me about Mark Ma- – the mad dog on the coaching staff. Well, first of all, I love it here at Utah Valley University. It's the largest university in the state of Utah. It's the fastest growing university in the state of Utah. So 40,000 students and growing faster than anyone else, anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So people want to be here. And uh, I was proud of our players. You know, we ended up uh, tying for the conference championship last year in a good conference, the WAC. And, um, you know, proud of all of our players. We had a, an individual from Vancouver, Canada, oh. who led the nation in rebounding, Fardaz Amak, Canadian guy, Canadian player, great player, that led the nation in rebounding at 15 rebounds a game. So he, he just put his name in the NBA draft. Um, and so that's exciting. And, and we have a lot of other pros in our program. And I tell guys, professional can be NBA, it can be G League. It can be high-level overseas. And so I'm, I'm really proud of our players um, because not only were they good on the court, but they were really good in the classroom, close to a 3-4-3-5 GPA as a team. And so um, I'm proud of these guys. It's a lot of fun to work with them, and it's a lot of fun to be part of Utah Valley. How the hell did you not get the Duke job? It's a Stan- <laughs> it's the Stanford of the East, isn't it? Or is, or is Stanford the Duke of the West? I always hear that Stanford's the Duke of the West and Duke is the Stanford of the how, – how did you not get that gig, for God's sakes? <laughs> Duke is the Stanford of the East, as we know. But uh, it's funny. We were all in here, Mitch, and the news hit the ticker that Coach K was retiring. None of us could believe it. Because he's just, he's a staple. Right. You know, you just Can't, don't think of him yeah. retiring. But, hey, everybody lives life, and, and he's ready to, ret- I mean, he's ready to enjoy some things in life that you don't always get to enjoy when you have a schedule that you have to follow closely. It's terrific to visit with you. I wish you all the very best, the success and happiness there at Utah Valley. I'll be watching now with bated breath to see how Mark Madsen does on the sidelines and who knows where your next stops will be and where it will take you. Thank you for reminiscing with me a little bit here on the show. Thank you so much. Hey, Mitch, thank you so much for having me on, man. All the best. Hope our paths cross soon. Where did the Levy family go? To celebrate Mother's Day and my son's 19th birthday, you ask? Well, Daniel's broiler, of course. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Lindsay Schwartz to give us a little update. Lindsay, how are you? How's the business been? Warmer weather? Vaccines rolling out? What do you say? 
Doing great. Yeah, business is, is much better. It's picking up every week with the vaccinations, with the warm weather. Uh, it's really nice to see. It's been a long year or even longer, oh. and, and it's starting to feel like things are getting back to normal again for sure. You can say that again, and you're hiring. You're looking for people at all your locations. Yeah, we're looking for, for people at every location. We're hiring for every position as we get busy, and, and it's a fun place to work. Uh, whether people are looking for a summertime job or looking for something longer, term or build a career we've got all kinds of options so uh tell your friends and and come talk to us that's perfect that's great news i don't know much about alcohol and beverages but you guys have had some kind of unexpected success with a mixer that you're now bottling and selling on amazon explain this to me and what you have for Mitch Unfiltered listeners, what kind of an option? Yeah, well, during the pandemic, when the restaurants were shut down for a while and then obviously limited capacity, we wanted to find a way to, for people to have the Daniels experience at home. And we obviously did take out and delivery. But we also launched an old-fashioned cocktail mixer on Amazon. It's been unbelievable, the success that we've had, wow. not just locally, but nationally. So it's, our, it's the same old-fashioned cocktail that you get in our restaurants. 12-ounce bottle on Amazon of the mixer. It'll make 17 drinks when you mix with whiskey. Okay. Uh, normally, it's a $17 price point. And uh, for Mitch Unfiltered listeners, we're doing a 20% off promotion up until Father's Day. So what you do in the promo line, you put in Mitch L20 to get your 20% off. So M-I-T-C-H-L-20. And that'll get you the the discount. Wow. I get $3.40 off of a $17 item. And I can make there you go, man. I can make 17 drinks with that. I'm loving it. Mitch L20 on the Amazon code, right? When you do it on Amazon.com. That's right. Okay. That's right. Perfect. There it is. Where would Mitch Unfiltered be? Not very far, as I say, without my sponsors, including Daniels Broiler, who's been by my side for every step of the way back in the radio days, and now Mitch Unfiltered. We love Daniels Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. This kind of started yesterday. Like yesterday, I just woke up and I was really depressed, but I don't know why. With your tournament over and, you know, getting to have a break now, what's the first thing on your mind that you want to do? Nothing. Just nothing? Yeah. I was able to win two matches. Um, but I feel like that doesn't really say I can play well on clay. It's more, I think, I'm just an okay player that was able to play okay. I, like, I'm so sad right now. I, uh. Episode 144, Mitch Unfiltered, a story that has transcended the world of tennis, Naomi Osaka, much more than just a great women's champion withdrawing from the French Open after being fined for refusing to do post-round media. Like so many of us, she struggled with mental health and sadness and darkness. Renee Stubbs was a great doubles champion 
Six grand slams, right, Renee? Six of them? All six of them? Yeah, yeah six of them. <laughs> <laughs> Where are the trophies, Renee? Um, they're, they're in my apartment. Okay. Uh, some are, some are, uh, some are in closets, some are out. Okay. Uh, actually a friend has one on their, um, mantle cause they wanted to borrow it. So they're all over the place. How, how do you decide which one you, you want to prominently display when you have six of them, Renee? Uh, the size. I live in New York, so, you know, my apartment is uh, small, so the smallest ones usually go out. <laughs> uh, so let's begin with the human side, uh, the human being side of Naomi Osaka. It hurts to see her struggling. Yeah, it hurts to see anyone struggle, doesn't it? And particularly Naomi, obviously, you know, besides uh, Serena, the biggest name, biggest face in women's tennis, certainly the most uh, no- notable uh, champions of late. She's won multiple Grand Slams in the last couple of years, and uh, four of them exact. But, um, you know, it's, it's, she's obviously always struggled with the social aspect of tennis and maybe even her life in some respects. She's a very, very shy person. From the moment I saw her and was around her on the tennis tour, she you know, really stuck to herself, was not super engaging as far as, you know, talking to other players, just very, very quiet. So this is not a surprise in a lot of ways, but it's a a watershed moment for the sport and for sports in general, I think, to really look at the mental health side of of playing it professionally. Renee, um, did the French Open brass handle this correctly? No. I think bottom line is that uh, I think, honestly, nobody handled this well. I'm not going to put all the all the onus on the French Federation. I'm going to put some of it on Naomi, as I have done since really the start of this. I think if, if she could walk it all back, she would. I think she would go back to the, the original statement she put out and try and maybe do this in a, in a sort of a little bit more closed environment, back channel kind of way, talk to the WTA, talk to the French Federation see if there's any way that they can get around it a little bit for her because, look, she is, as I said, one of the biggest names in tennis. So they want to keep her happy. They want to keep her involved in in the sport. And um, I think her putting out that initial statement kind of made them put their get their gills out and, you know, push their chest out. And the French Federation is a little notorious of not doing things well. You know, they changed the, the even the dates for their Grand Slam last year during the pandemic without even consulting the players. So they've kind of been a federation has gone out on their own and done some kind of dumb things. But um, I don't think they handled it well once the original statement came out. Uh, I think they could have done a better job of that. Naomi has admitted she probably could have done a better job as well. But in the end, nobody won. Tennis lost. And um, we lost one of the biggest stars in the game. And the French Federation probably could have handled it a lot better. As well as the other Grand Slams. I think they probably shouldn't have hardballed her Mm -hmm. immediately. I think they should have had a little bit better conversations with her as well about how we can do better. But it is what it is, sadly. So now what? As it pertains to Wimbledon and later in the summer in the U.S. Open, I'm certain that something's happening behind closed doors as we speak. Well, I would um, be uh, very, 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 very surprised if she plays Wimbledon. Um, going on a limb and say there's no chance she's going to play Wimbledon. I think she's going to get herself try and get herself set for the hard court season, which she's has obviously shown she's the best hard court player in the world. So she is, she'll be a lot more comfortable on that surface. And uh, probably in a better mindset, getting away from the game a little bit. Having said that, going to be a lot of questions asked of her during that time. So she, she's going to have to be prepared for those questions and those moments. But um, I think that the bottom line is the Grand Slams, the WTA Tour, and the federations need to get together and say, how can we, how can we do better by our players? And how can we express to our players the importance of also putting their faces out there to give statements and do the right thing by the press, it, particularly the, the TV networks. And I'm not saying that because I work for ESPN, but I'm saying that because the networks put a lot of money. They write a big check to those Grand Slams to put those rights on their 
networks and those that money that they pay goes essentially you know into the not all of it obviously but majority of that money goes into the pockets of the players and they need to understand that that's a marriage that needs to continue so you know we'll see where they where the where the networks the media and the federations can come together and just do better by the players you said in a recent washington post article renee that we need to get our arms around kind of the circus of the grand slam media too many there asking irrelevant and unimportant questions speak to us about that yeah, listen, I, I obviously have gone into press conferences myself as a player. Sometimes I wonder how this person got a, a credential in the first place because clearly they don't know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to tennis half the time. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that, obviously, is that now I'm in the media and I have to go into those press conferences sometimes and listen to the answers from players because we on television don't want to ask a double question, right? If that question gets answered in a press conference, we want to be able to give a new nuance to those you know, to a match or to a player on our own screen. So, you know, I have to go in there sometimes and listen to the answers. And so I just think that the press, uh, when it comes to the press conferences, I think the, the print media, ha- we have to do a better job of who we let in those rooms. And I think we don't have enough people of color. I think we don't have enough um, women. I think we have a lot of stodgy old men that have been around for 30 years writing the same articles in tennis. And I think they can do a better job of getting a little bit more of a different spin on the game and certainly not somebody who's going in there for a gotcha question or a gotcha headline. And, you know, what is your basis to be in here? Is it to promote the player and the sport or is it to sensationalize the sport? So we have to be a little bit better of who we allow into those Uh, press conferences and you know tv genuinely does a better job because i think they have to have a better relationship with the players because we both rely on each other to promote the sport and then the sixty-four thousand dollar question the slippery slope question renee is do we allow the athletes to skip these things and if we allow one to skip them do we allow all of them well, that was the question that was posed, really, in this moment. And this is, I've spoken ad nauseum about this, really, over the last week, is that, you know, the bottom line is a lot of the players were not supportive of Naomi. And one of the reasons they were not supportive of Naomi is because they feel like, listen, I have to do it. I have to face the music. i got to walk into those press conferences. Serena doesn't walk in. She didn't want to walk in after losing her match today. There's no way you want to face them, the press and have them ask you the same redundant questions all the time. But sadly... Um, you know, or, you know, maybe as I said, a watershed moment, you don't need the losers to go in there and do a press conference, but, you know, every player has to do it. So when you think about it from the other player's perspective, they're thinking, wait a second, like we, we have to go through it. So you should have to go through it. The flip side is yes, but not everybody's built the same. And some players have social anxiety and issues that maybe we need to look at. I just think it, as I said, and I have said all week, it's a watershed moment for us all to sit back and say, how can we all sit together and try and work out a better way to do this and not cause so much you know, anxiety and, and, and in some cases depression amongst uh, professional athletes? Renee, you competed for many, many years. I mentioned at the top six Grand Slam titles in the, in the doubles divisions, the different doubles divisions. Martina Navratilova commented last week that players for decades have neglected their mental well-being. They get their bodies ready to play, but not so much their minds. And, you know, these individual sports, I know a lot of these players have teams around them with agents and coaches and trainers, but it still can be a very lonely place, can't it, on tour? 
undoubtedly. It's uh, one of the most difficult sports. You're travelling by yourself a lot of times. And obviously during the pandemic, it's been even more difficult. And, you know, listen, I don't want to diminish people that have lost their jobs and, and in some cases lost family members to this horrible pandemic. But, you know, when you're travelling around the world by yourself, you're in these bubbles. You are essentially not really surrounded by a lot of people that you would like to be surrounded by because you cannot be surrounded by them. Um, and then you throw on top of that, a loss or not playing well, you really do struggle. Um, I can I can name thousands of players that have dealt with depression, anxiety, very dark days uh, being a professional athlete because your self worth is around winning and losing. You know, so it's it's not an easy life. Uh, a lot of these players are very young as well, and they haven't learned the coping skills that they need. So yeah, there's absolutely no doubt that. I wish I'd meditated when I played. I think that would have helped me. I think it has helped a lot of players over the last few years that have talked about it. But there's absolutely, um, as I said, a watershed moment to us for to talk about the the difficulties of the mental aspect and the pressures of being a professional athlete. And, you know, they throw around the money all the time. Well, she's worth, you know, X amount. Money doesn't buy happiness and money doesn't buy sanctity and and peace and so it's got nothing to do with money we've we've seen a lot of very famous people commit suicide and it's not because they don't have money so this is about someone's health and well-being and their mental state and obviously Naomi sort of put a spotlight on that so finish up with this you think she'll skip Wimbledon we'll see her at the U.S. Open where she's been so terrific over the years what is that visual what's that scene going to look like in in New York at the end of the summer I think it'll be unbelievably, first of all, I think we're going to have full capacity at the US Open, which is going to be amazing. I think we'll have a transformed moment for the sport. And I think she's going to, Naomi Osaka will have unbelievable support from the public. I think so many people deal with this on a regular basis and are super supportive of her. And so I think she's going to have tremendous support once she steps out onto the tennis court from the, from the viewing public. And I cannot wait to have crowds back following these tennis players and encouraging them. And I, I just hope anybody who's listening to this that feels the need to get onto Twitter or Instagram and rip a tennis player, or not even a tennis player, just people in general, and abuse them online behind a keyboard, you just have to think about what you're doing to someone's psyche. And so for me, I hope going forward, you know, people can be just a little bit kinder. Renee, it's great to visit with you. I'm a, I'm a fan from afar. Good luck at ESPN and all the different outlets uh, that you work. We appreciate it, and we'll chat with you down the line. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Mitch. And if they want to listen to any more, I've got a Racket Magazine podcast, and we talk about this ad nauseum as we have in the last couple of weeks, and I hope everyone uh, has a great summer. Let's get back to watching sports live. Fantastic. Thank thanks. you, Renee. Okay. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, look who we've captured again on Mitch Unfiltered. Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat off the golf course and the fishing boat to chat fireplaces and garage doors. How's everyone doing, John? Hi, Mitch. Doing great. Again, as I've said before, we've been super blessed to be in this market and uh, be in the building and retail industry, and our customers continue to bless us with lots of businesses. Uh, again, just working through delays that manufacturers might have, but we think good communication and then having some patience, uh, we can get a lot of these things installed for people. It's funny, John, you think of fireplace conversations as wintertime discussions, but the truth is, like with us here at the house, it's now, right, that you start the planning process to change the look and feel of your home for fall and winter. 
Yeah, I think it's the great time. Depending on the kind of project you're doing, it takes a little while to make some selections. You know, we come out to your house like we've talked about before. Yep. You come into the showroom. So there are times that go along there. So if we can be patient again, like we were talking about, uh, we can look at stuff. We take our time to really pick out the things that we need to. We'll help guide you and make sure you make the right selection. But it does. It takes the pressure off of getting it done in the fall. Boom. When that first winter day or that fall day comes, you have that nice warm fire place in your home and in this day and age of covid we don't have to worry this time of year about shipment delays from manufacturers installation dates it makes everything a little bit easier what is the time frame that you guys are working with on the average john yeah on average we're still about two to three weeks out it really depends on the product our gas fireplaces have been doing really really great our manufacturers stay ahead of that but it doesn't mean that we're not going to have a delay we'll communicate with you and again selection now like we just talked about it's a great time so if you're really in a hurry we can select something that is in stock because we are stocking more products in, in some cases, and if you're a little bit more patient and you really want that particular fireplace, we'll let you know what the lead times are, and, and we'll make sure that gets installed at your time frame as well. People who listen to Unfiltered know that a few years ago, you guys also jumped in the garage doors business. How's it going? Tell us about that arm of your of your work. It's doing great as well. Uh, it's very, very busy. In that industry, it's a little bit different. Most garage doors are steel, so the steel index has gone up. So the pricing has been a little bit more variable. We just moved our Puyallup location to a Sumner location so we could stock more for our customers to make sure we can keep those lead times down. Fantastic. Start your shopping, whether it's a new indoor or outdoor fireplace or new garage doors. You got to start your shopping with an amazingly loyal supporter of us here on Mitch Unfiltered, Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. It's time that we talk saving money with my buddy Jordan Flowers at the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. How are you, Jordan? Mitch, I am doing great. I am still trying to track you down to win someone money back from <laughs> golf last year. We'll do it. Do I have to call you J-Flo on the golf course, or can I call you Jordan? Yeah, you know, J-Flo's just going to pump me up. <laughs> you better be careful. What are rates these days on 30-year fixed? Yeah, rates are still, we're quoting out in the high twos, low threes on 30-year fixed rates right now. So depending on if you're looking to do a cash-out refinance or a straight rate and term refinance, you're still being able to capitalize on historically low interest rates. Good time to buy a house in the Pacific Northwest? Always a great time to buy. Certainly has its challenges for our buyers, but it's still a great time to buy. And we're helping a lot of people buy homes right now, even with as little as zero to 3% down. We've got some tricks up our sleeve that help our buyers win in competitive situations. So always a great time to look at it. So if I'm considering a refinance, how do I know when the right time is to call you guys? If I look at my 30-year fix that I'm involved in right now, and I see, let's say, 3.7%. Can I save money yeah. by calling you? Absolutely, 100%. You could be looking at saving money on a new 30-year, getting in the high twos, low threes, or shortening the payoff time frame that you have on it and, say, going to a 20-year fixed or something. So certainly mid to high threes, you should be looking at refinancing and taking advantage of these low rates for right. as long as they're here. What's the time investment? How long do I have to talk to Jordan? How long do I have to talk to J-Flow to find out how much money I can save? You can talk to J-Flow for as little as five to seven minutes okay. or as long as you'd like to chat. <laughs> <laughs> and how do I get a hold of Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage? Our direct office line is 
425-3145. And the cell phone you can text or call is 425-890-2957. Mitch Unfiltered would not be very far without our sponsors, in particular Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland office of Gil Mortgage. Unfiltered. Okay, other stuff segment. You got a lot. I got a little. You want to start? Another major blow for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics. Nearly 10,000 volunteers have quit over COVID fears just 50 days before the games are set to begin. Wouldn't they be the 2021 Olympics? Well, it was supposed to be 2020. Yeah, that's what they're still calling the 2020. Are they really? Well, that's the story I saw. I had 2020. Like the graphic will come up and it'll say 2020 Olympics? It might. It might, as a matter of fact. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. The number of people who just opted, that represents an eighth. By the way, who knew 80,000 people volunteer to work the Olympics? 80,000 unpaid volunteers. I mean, I know it's around the world, I would think. It's a big undertaking, but yeah. So uh, officials extended a state of emergency in Japan to June 20th because hospitals and other medical care facilities in major cities are being pushed to the brink. But Olympic officials have dug in and reiterated the games will go on as planned. So we'll see what happens. Is Simone Biles the star of all stars of the Tokyo Olympics? Well, the NBA players always get the attention. I would think I'm getting the feeling, and I don't really follow gymnastics, that there's this groundswell of support that she is the biggest star of the Olympic Games or will be the biggest star of the Olympic yeah, Games. I could see Like it. she's the greatest gymnast that's ever lived. She's superhuman, yes. Better than Mary Lou Retton. I knew you were going to say her. Nadia Comaneci. The, the last time you watched was Mary Lou Retton in 1984. Olga Corbett. Do you remember <laughs> Olga Corbett on that, be- on that beam? Didn't one of them defect to the U.S., I think? Mm-hmm. Nadia Comaneci, I think yeah, she I think, defected yeah. to Romania. the U.S. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Perfect 10. She was the first ever perfect 10. Yeah. Nadia Comaneci. But Mary Lou Retton with the hurt ankle. Oh, oh forget about it. I mean, oh. oh, sitting there in L.A. Oh, it was great. Loved it. Yeah, so we'll see if these Olympics You happen. don't remember Olga Corbett. I know the name. You kind of glossed over Olga Corbett. I know the name. Okay, there, I would have said gymnast. Okay, you got to go back. Do you remember the, 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 the famous uh, open to... ABC's Wild, Wide World of Sports. Oh, Do you remember that? With Kirkland National kid on there? Cody Webster? Was he on there? Yeah. Kirkland American or now? I can't remember. Yeah. yeah, he was on there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the skier. Oh, that guy. The agony defeat yes. skier. Go back and look at that open and you will see a young woman like doing something on a, a balance beam. Yeah. And the face of competitiveness. I mean, it was <laughs> Olga Corbett. Okay, I will look that up. Okay. After. Yeah. I saw that when I was first probably about 10 years old. Yeah. I'm now 54, and I and I can't go to sleep at night. You can't get that no. out of your head still? The Olga Corbett <laughs> clip in, in, the, uh, in the wide world of sports open. A tad I, intense, was she? Uh, <laughs> okay. Olga Corbett. All right, I'll look it up. I can't okay. wait. All right. All right, an employee working on a remodeling project at a historic theater in California found a wallet that was lost by a patron. I have this. 74 oh. years, like... 46, no, 46 years earlier. In the 1970s. Yeah. They found it underneath something. I have this on my list. Yep. There's no money in the wallet, but the wallet was found. Yeah. So she got pictures back. 46 years. It's uh, amazing. Dropped it in a theater 46 years. So somebody. And it got into the crawl space or something. It looks right? like someone found it, took the cash, and then just chucked it into a, the crawl oh. space or something. Oh. That's what they think happened. Because otherwise, it would, it would have been on the floor where people's feet are. Can but. you imagine that 40-something years later? 46 years later, they find a wallet. I know. Crazy, right? And uh, not to be outdone, a rival theater claimed that they're still selling popcorn they bought 46 years ago. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, hot shot. Uh, I'm warming up. John Rom, Ever heard of him? 
I have. I picked him when I was in Arizona for our tournament we had. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of the great players in the in, in the world of golf. Yep. Um, ASU guy, originally from Spain. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. You know, one of the great golfers that hasn't yet won a, um, a major championship. Just had a baby. And John Rahm, who won the Memorial last last year, which is one of the <clears> – <throat> I'd call it one of the bigger – it's Jack's, it's Jack's tournament. Um <laughs> One of the bigger non-majors, he won it last year going away. Okay. He was six shots up going into the final round of this year's Memorial. I think the prize, the first place prize is like $1.5, $1.6, $1.7 million. And he was forced to withdraw a hot shot because they notified him as he walked off the 18th green on Saturday with a six-shot lead that he had tested positive for COVID. Saw and that. he was forced to withdraw. And this has, oh my God. I, I made the mistake, I think it's a mistake, of looking up some of the comments on social media from people. Oh, yeah. Everything is... He sent out a statement, hey, this is the way it goes. I'll cheer for whoever it is. I'm, I'm heartbroken, but I understand. I accept, and I hope that they have a great final round without me, and I'm going to... Me and my family, we're going to be okay, and yeah. we look forward to seeing something. And the reaction and response from the... From the right and from the left was like, this became the most political thing uh, of all time. What isn't, right? And, and we don't even know. I mean, the, the assumption, I guess, by everybody is he's not vaccinated. But we don't really even know that, right? He because hasn't we, come out and said that. What? He no, hasn't come out and said he that. He hasn't okay. said he has or hasn't been, and maybe okay. he has and maybe he hasn't been. But the, 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 it's just immediately assumed that he isn't vaccinated and that he brought this upon himself. Yeah. According to certain people, he bought all, all he had to do was go get vaccinated. So I don't want him crying to me. And yet we don't know that he's not vaccinated. We, we're hearing over and over again that people who are vaccinated can test positive. He's asymptomatic. And the reason he was testing, by the way, is because he was exposed before the tournament began to somebody who was COVID positive. So okay. when they decided that the, the, the whole group got together, including him before the tournament started and said, OK, you can continue to play. You can play, but you've got to test every day. And if you test positive, you've got to walk away. That was the it was it was agreed oh, upon. Okay. And then he tested before the first round, negative. He tested after the first round, negative. He tested after the second round, negative. He tested before the third round, which they found was positive as he was on the 17th hole. And then the other question is the way they informed him. They did you see the highlight? You see did you see the the footage of this? It's heartbreaking. Yeah. In front of everybody. Right. They literally got a hold of him right as he was walking off the 18th green in front of everybody. And there's a lot of people that think, oh, that wasn't kind. That wasn't gentle. I mean, this is a, a very personal moment. Couldn't they have done this behind closed doors? And their answer to this was, well, he tested positive for COVID. So right. we, ha- we, we have to take every precaution. We have to tell him immediately. We can't have him exposing himself to others. Right. Right. There's a big crowd there. Sure. There's other players. And so we have to get to him just as soon as possible. That was their rationale for telling him when they did. Anyway. So when, when he has to withdraw. Yes. So he gets no- nothing. No- zero. Oh. It's like a miscut. Oh, that hurts. The timing is always weird. I mean, I understand what you're saying that. It's just weird that they couldn't work this out. So Imagine he, if you had him in the golf pool. Well, yeah, I mean. You get a zero. Talk about sad. I mean, that's that's the real <laughs> heartbreak of this whole thing. 
But remember the player on was it the Dodgers who found out in the middle of the game? Too? Justin Turner? I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And then they let him out to celebrate the World Series. I don't know the if field. they let him out, but he oh. went out there. But it's just yeah. weird how they can't they can't figure it out to let people either play or not play. Like seventeen holes, and then you get. I mean, it's like just you couldn't figure out before the. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows how long the tests take? And I don't know. It's a, it's so sad for him though. He just like fell they down. They spoke. They, he did. He fell down. He collapsed. Yeah. yeah, he collapsed. They spoke to the two guys that were playing with him. Okay. And asked if they're concerned to know now the guy that they were playing with for the last four and a half hours had tested positive for COVID. And their answers, and I think one of them was Patrick Cantlay, and I can't remember who the other one was. I think it was Colin Markow. I think it was somebody else. They both said, not concerned in the least. Wish him all the very best. Why are we not concerned in the least? A, because I had COVID already, so I'm not concerned. I probably have the antibodies. And B, I'm in the lead now. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. I'm in the lead. Yeah, money has a way I was six of a... back. I just picked up six shots. That's right. He sure did. Wow. Yeah. Or laughing. Anyway. That poor guy, though. That's a, that's a rough weekend. Yeah, it is. That's tough. That's tough, man. A Michigan man didn't have a gruff weekend. He had a good one. He said he was so stunned after winning $1 million jackpot from a scratch-off lottery ticket. I don't even know lottery tickets you could win up to a million dollars. He won a million dollars. He drove away from the gas station with the pump still hanging out of his tank. Oh, jeez. He was so excited. He pulls up to his house, and there's the, the gun sitting in his, his gas tank. 59-year-old Janice, uh, Genesee County man, he told officials that he bought a winning ticket from the Speedway station at Fenton and scratched it off while filling his car with gas. He was so excited, he pulled away. I've done that, by the way. You have? And the owner of You've the, driven off with the, with the thing in your... The oh owner of the God. gas station was none too pleased, well, let I me tell you. Not happy with hot shots. How do you know the? I mean, the owner. Who's well, the owner? whoever was in charge. He okay. came flying okay. out. I don't think the owner's hanging out behind the register. I don't think an employee would give a crap. This guy seemed really pissed. It might have been his gas station. <laughs> the guy making twelve bucks an hour. What does he care? This guy was ready to kill me. He didn't do it. You know, what are you going to do? But they actually, they're actually breakaway. You know how the breakaway sweats you have now? Yeah, sure. They have. Like they're that. actually breakaway now, so you don't really ruin anything. You just snap it back on, but. So what's he? What's his problem? Yeah, well, exactly. He just, you know, it's not like he left with munchies or something like that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I was just in a fog and a, you know, me. I'm just like probably looking at my phone or something, and I just hear funk. I look down, I see this black thing. Oh well, like, at least you you realized it I did. before you got home. Yeah, I didn't get on the highway with this enormous <laughs> black hose flopping behind me. But yeah, yeah, not good. Tom Brady's rookie card. We've talked about it. It went for three point one million or three point two million or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was auctioned off. Yep. I guess there's only a few of them in existence, these rookie cards that he signed. Yep. Remember, we've talked about this, that back in my day when I collected baseball cards, they used to say, you don't want to get them signed. Yeah. They they hurt the value. You don't want them signed. Have them sign a baseball. Have them sign something else. Don't have them sign a baseball card. Now, all these great cards that are going for millions and millions of dollars, they're all signed by the athlete. It's bullcrap because I would have had them all signed as a kid. (laughs) I was told not to. It desecrates them. That's a bunch of crap. I'm not as much intrigued by the 3.1 million for the football card as I am the football. Have you heard about the football? No. So 20 years ago, I guess it's 20 years ago, Tom Brady in his first game action, regular season game action, hit a wide receiver by the name of Terry Glenn okay. out of Ohio State. I think he was a buddy of your buddy. Oh, probably the same time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sean. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sean Springs. Terry Glenn, wide receiver, New England Patriots, Ohio State, caught a ball from Tom Brady in his first game and raced into the end zone for a touchdown. It was the first touchdown pass of Tom Brady's career. I guess Terry Glenn had no idea what Tom Brady might become. Right. 
because he took the ball and he heaved. He didn't even give it back to his. You know, normally you give it back to your quarterback. It's their first touchdown. Yeah, it'd be nice. He heaved it into the stands. <laughs> okay. And Terry Glenn, by, by the way, may he rest in peace. Yeah. He's gone. Um, but but the guy who caught the ball, I guess in Foxborough, went out of the went out of the stadium with the ball mm-hmm. and put it in a safe deposit box. Smart. A Patriot season ticket holder, 48 years old, and he put it in a safe deposit box, and he's had it there ever since for 20 years. He loves the ball so much that in big games when they're playing like like playoff games, he stops at the at the safe deposit box on his way to the stadium to rub the ball for good luck. What a dork. Okay. God, sports fans. <laughs> and he um he sold it. He sold it over the weekend after oh, 20 he years. He got four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. Now, whew, I know that cards are where it's at. I know that memor- I know I understand that people like football cards and rookie cards and signed cards, but I don't know. The football seems cooler than a football card. Well, collectibles it? are out of control, so it's not just cards. Collectibles are out of well, control. Well, this is a collectible. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. But wh- why only four hundred twenty-five grand? Or is it? Oh, because I see. It, I what you're saying. Yeah. Is it because? It, I mean, what if he had signed it? What if somehow? Now I don't know how. If you have Tom Brady's first ever touchdown ball you can possibly get him to sign it without – I mean, you kind of feel like you should give it back to him. He probably would like to have it himself. There's probably one or two items that Tom Brady would like to have, and that would be one of them, his first touchdown pass. Yeah, you, you catch him after practice and say, oh, I just found this in my garage. Right. Yeah, yeah you don't tell right. him. I mean, come on. What's the, uh, what's the difference in price? If it's signed? Yeah. Now, does it, does it matter if he signs it in 2021? Does that still count? Or is it better to have it in 2000? In 2000 or 2001, or does it matter? I don't know. I don't know either. I'm not a member. I'm not Leland. My name's not Mitch Leland. <laughs> I don't know either. It's a good question. That is a pretty cool Christy. thing. To, Christy's out. <laughs> how, do they, how do they confirm it's the, right, it's the ball? Oh, no. You can just take any smushed ball that's no. all flat and say. No. No. Wow. Four, he got, four, got 425000 for the ball. The Tom Brady rookie card got $3.1 million. Yeah. So, big difference. It does seem like a big Do we know why he wanted to sell it now, or does it? Does the story not uh, say? I didn't say. Just decided to get yeah. rid of it? Yeah. Vanessa Bryant says Nike Shoes has designed uh, to honor Kobe and G- – the shoes that Nike has designed <laughs> to honor Kobe and Gianna have been yeah. leaked. So, she's not happy about it. She's actually really pissed I off. I thought that they had disconnected with Nike. That's why she's pissed off. So, they, they decided to – to design these shoes, but then they were they disconnected and they were not supposed to be made. Oh. Right. Oh, they're not on their way out. They haven't been leaked early. Correct. I, that's what I thought you meant. Yeah, so during recent talks yeah. with Nike, she helped create a version of the Kobe 6 Pro Tro, I guess it's called. Yeah. It was meant to honor them after the 2020 crash. Vanessa added she wanted the shoes to be sold, quote, to honor my daughter with all the proceeds benefiting our Mamba, Mamba C, the Sports Foundation. And she saw a picture of them on Instagram and was like, Wait, what are those doing out? So here we go. More uh, more Vanessa Bryant versus Nike. Well, I actually did see off the topic, if you're done with that, I, I did see a, a very heart-wrenching video over the weekend Okay. of Vanessa Bryant giving surprising Kobe's sister Okay. with a new car. Oh. I don't know if you saw that on Instagram. No, I didn't see oh, it. Oh, my God. Yeah. Not a dry eye in the house. I'm sure, yeah. She gave her a new Tesla. Oh, nice. I, I surprised her. She came out of a store or something, and it was just sitting there with a big red bow on it, and she said, here, this is for you. That's nice. She started to cry. I started to cry. <laughs> I'm sure he did. Vanessa started to cry. <laughs> Vanessa was wiping her tears away, Kobe's sister, oh. and I was like, I was. I, I, needed, yeah. a hang, I needed a hanky in, a, in the worst Forget I mean, That's yeah. a guy like you. I, I mean, did forget see. about it. <laughs> yeah, you can't handle that. That's no good. All right, a parking space in an oh. affluent Hong Kong neighborhood, a parking space sold yes. for $1.3 million 
which is a new world record. A parking space. A parking space in Hong Kong. Okay. A, a Wh- parking space. Why? What's so good about the parking space? Well, it's in a crowded neighborhood. I yeah. mean, have you, you've lived in big cities. You try yeah. to park in Manhattan yeah. I or have Boston. A, I, actually, I actually have a running joke that the kids hate that I... Every time I get a good spot somewhere, yeah. I, I use the same old joke. I probably got it from my dad. I always say... Oh, we shouldn't move the car. Let's just get an Uber home and just keep... I mean, we got such a great <laughs> yeah, space. Let's exactly. just leave the car there for a while. They're like, Dad, we've heard that one before. Oh, we yeah. only use that a million times. My daughter's right? heard all of my jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the parking space is at the luxury Mount Nicholson residential project. It was sold by Wharf Holdings LTD and Nan Fung Group. It sold for 1.3 to an unidentified buyer, so we don't know who bought it. But one part... Those city parking is out of control. So I could see somebody rich going, you know what? Forget about it. I'm going to pay the $1.3 million. I'll have a place to park every time I come home. While I'm talking about tearjerker stories from the world of sports, I suppose that Kobe Bryant or that Vanessa Bryant story is a world of sports. Here's this one, and this actually has a local tie. Okay. Uh, do you remember who played tight end for the Seahawks last year? Greg Olson? Yes. Yeah, do you know I mean, the story of Greg Olson and his son? TJ Olson, who needed a, who needed a heart transplant, needed no. a new heart. Eight years old. Got his heart. Oh, he did. Doing great. It's been all over social media. You want another story that my, I I, I just, I'm flooded with with tears. You read this story, you see the pictures of the young boy. They've been, the, the Olsen family have been, you know, praying for a new heart for this young man and he got it. He got eight years old. T.J. Olsen got his new heart over the last week. Wow. Congratulations to T.J. But it's just crazy that a kid has to go through, you know, like a, a kid needs a new heart. Right? I mean, it's just like, wow. That's, uh, yeah. You look at a guy like Greg Olson. What a life, right? Yeah. Rich beyond all belief. You know, the whole thing. But you never know what people are going through. Don't know what is How many sleepless corner. nights did that guy oh have? With the, yeah. Wow. Well, Sorry, congratulations. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. We might need to get this teenager on. I don't know. What, see Uh-oh. what you think. A California teenager rushed to defend her dogs from a family of bears, shoving the biggest bear off a wall and scaring it away. And it's all on video. Oh, my God. A bear was up on their little retained, like up on their fence, like a cement. She yeah. just runs up, shoves it right in the chest and knocks the bear off. And the bear took off. A teenager. Here from the United States? Uh, yeah, it was in California. Yeah, oh. S- San Gabriel Valley. Yes. The answer is yes, Steve Dion, if he's listening. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty. Or a hot shot. Yes. Get, get her, her or him. Uh, she's 17-year-old she, Haley. Come on. Rushed over to see what the hell was the matter, springing into action when she realized there was a bear on the prowl. You got to see this video. She just like. If we, could, if we could have a teenager who lives in an old age home, yeah, and we could have a teenager who qualified for the U.S. Women's Open who hits at 290 yards at 14, we could certainly have a teenager who pushed a bear away from a dog. I don't think I have it in me to go shove a bear. She had cubs with her, too. Uh-oh. I don't think I have it in me. I, I'm pretty sure the story said she had cubs. Ign- ignorance is bliss. I, I guess, yeah. I, I've had a black bear on. I've had two black bears in my yard, and they, they were really scared of me when I opened the door. Like, they took off. So... I know that black bears at least can be scared of you. I still don't have it in me to run up and shove a bear. Are you crazy? That's crazy. It's 17. That's crazy. These millennials don't give crap about anything. They're tougher (laughs) than all of us. All right. uh, I got one last one. A New Mexico sheriff who's running for mayor of Albuquerque was interrupted in bizarre fashion during a recent campaign event when a flying drone with a sex toy attached to it buzzed around the stage as he spoke. (laughs) If that wasn't enough, Bernalillo County Sheriff Manuel Gonzalez was also the recipient of an alleged punch to the hands. So the owner or the, the person who was putting on the event actually grabbed the, grabbed the drone, caught it, and the, the 20-year-old who was flying it wanted his drone back and then ended up like punching and taking a swing at the guy or whatever. So 
Uh, yeah, Dreyer has been, the, this guy Dreyer, he's been charged with petty misdemeanor battery and misdemeanor resisting, evading, or obstructing an officer. I would love to see the video of that thing flying around, but I, I haven't found one yet. I have one more if you're ready. <laughs> I thought this was it. Are you well? I, I'm waiting for your liners. That was going to go down a, a pretty dirty road, so I, I pass on an, another you, one about a, a naked Thanks bike ride. <laughs> Organizers of the annual Philly Naked Bike Ride says this year's event will take place August 28th and will require masks. Based on the city's earlier coronavirus restrictions, not requiring shirts, pants, skirts, or even underwear, but you better have your mask on for this naked bike ride. The city lifted most of its COVID-19 rules this week, citing an increase in vaccinations and decreases in cases. Ride participants, sometimes in the thousands, usually gather in the park to strip off their clothes and paint each other's bodies before carefully hopping on their bikes, very carefully. The naked ride is to promote positive body image, advocate for the safety of cyclists, and the, to protest dependence on fossil fuels. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, yes, a naked bike ride through Philadelphia. Just how Benjamin Franklin envisioned it. <laughs> He was busy, you know, creating libraries and newspapers to get the city off the ground. Oh. All right. What a treat for tourists. The Liberty Bell won't be the only crack they see. Uh -huh. I'm all for the promotion of positive body images, but cold air blowing on my naked body for an hour won't do much to help that. <laughs> a beautiful, sunny, scenic tour of Philadelphia surrounded by naked people, and yet half the bike riders still found a reason to bitch about the Eagles the whole time. <laughs> And finally, you may be wondering where the riders keep things like wallets and keys, and I have the answer for you. Uh, Fanny packs. Uh, there you go. Very good. And they, very they, good. You know, they have one of those in Seattle, a naked bike ride, in Fremont. Do they really? Yep, and they have one in Portland. Do they, what do they do? They go to, they go to city officials and they ask for permission to do this? Yep. Because I otherwise, everybody would get would get arrested, yes. right? For yeah, yeah. Why do why does the city allow it? I think the loophole because it's for a good good cause or something. Partly, and I think also that they they do paint their bodies. Yeah, like I said, they all strip down, they paint each other's. But like the Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition when they started painting the bodies. That's exactly right. So I think that might be how, and they let people know if you have kids and you don't want them people to see this, then keep your kids away. You know, if you're uptight about naked bodies, then don't bring your kids down from. 2 to 4 p.m. on a random Saturday or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, they have one in um, yeah different cities around the country. So, if you'd like to go. It sounds like you're very you you're very much informed on naked bike rides. Well, I, I was wondering if it was common or not. I know they have one in Seattle. Dare I so ask? I, I have I you ever been involved in a naked... Like I said, is that what I need? I mean, <laughs> I already have a not-so-good body image. <laughs> I don't need to be doing that. I mean, come on, man. Oh, God. Yeah. I'm glad they'll be wearing masks. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> That's it, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for putting up with us for our week, our little week away. Yes. Episode 144 now is officially in the books.